take supplements? Of course you do. But do not pay full price if you do. Go to FusionMuscle.com. Use promo code KOTL25 and get whatever you need from multivitamins, the pre-workout, the creatine. Get it dropped off at your house. FusionMuscle.com and KOTL25. Let's get it going. Six-pack lap of that. Robbie Little. And Robbie Little. <laughs> now, I again. introduce you, sir. Don't jump the gun now, me now. <laughs> Okay, you're a little a little hot out the gate right now. Yeah. Full of piss and vinegar this, you this morning. Up. Yeah, you're all wound up, buddy. Yeah. Um, so how's the weekend? It's pretty good. Yeah. Set a barbecue yesterday. How yeah. you? Nothing too great. I watched, so last night I watched, there's a lot of hype around um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, like it's it's Brad Pitt, it's Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio, and um, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. Those guys, three together, usually don't make a bad movie. I can't yeah. remember the last time, like out of all the movies they made, they're heavy hitting high percentage, right? Always. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's very few. <laughs> there's there's always gonna be one or two, but there's they're really good. Maybe at the start of their career or something like one of those like. Just well, Mister and Mrs. Smith was shit. <laughs> when when Brad Pitt did that movie with Angelina Jolie, yeah. that was terrible. That. Yeah, that was an absolutely terrible one. movie. <laughs> like, there's gonna be a couple bad movies here and there, but overall, so. Anyways, it's straight up just like Quentin Tarantino does. He could take something that happened in history, like in Glorious Bastards, mm -hmm. and he changes how it ends, because we all know Hitler died in a bunker uh, committing suicide. Or and now they're saying, he, they're saying now he might have fucking fled to Argentina. But <laughs> Lots of theories out there. There's a lot of theories like that. <laughs> but historically speaking, um, the storyline goes he died in the bunker by suicide. But in Inglorious Bastards, and this is no spoiler alert, the movie's been out for like 10 years, they, uh, they kill him, right? And they shoot him up right to hell in a movie theater, and then like it's a suicide mission, but they like just go ape, ape in this uh, movie theater and kill like everybody. Yeah, really dramatic and everything, yeah. lots of explosions. Yeah, so, um, but we all know that's, that's not how Hitler died, and that's fine. This is what he does. He takes something from history, changes it. So in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I'm not going to give a spoiler, don't worry, but it revolves around the Charles Manson, um, the Manson family. And then obviously they have, very famously, they ran in that one house in like the Hollywood Hills and slaughtered those people. And um, I think one of them was an actress on the yeah. way up. Sharon Tate, I think. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So you do know this pretty good. Yeah. I didn't know the oh, name yeah. off my heart. Did you know it just because of the movie or? No, I've uh, researched the Manson. Oh, Manson wow. You're really into that, there. huh? A well, follower? Are you, part of the, are you a follower of his? <laughs> A fan, even. <laughs> a secret. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a, I saw the movie The Strangers, and I always like to go back into Wikipedia. I'm one of those people that will see how closely yeah. related the movie was when I, it says based on a true story. I always do that. If I see a movie and it's based on a true story, I'm that asshole who wiki, wikis it right afterwards. And it's not just like, not, even if the movie's good, I'm just interested. I'm like, wow, that was a really good movie. I want to see how close yeah. and what the real story was. And just like the yeah. movie Lawless with Tom Hardy. Oh, yeah, phenomenal movie. Yeah. But obviously, I got to hop on there. Is this guy, was this guy really like Tom Hardy? My picture ain't the same. I like those old mobster ones too. Yeah. And you find out that like, you think that these stories are fake and then you actually Google them. And you're like, oh shit. Like, yeah. yeah, this really happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, for, for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So there's some real people in it. One of them, Bruce Lee. Now, some people got pissed off about this. In the movie, Bruce Lee, they somewhat portray him 
not the greatest. Like you, you know, there's there's those martial arts that um, aren't going to work in the UFC, yeah. and there's yeah. martial artists that never had a fight. They just do movies. They're actors, and they're yeah. martial artists, but they don't. They've never had a fight. So they're not actually tough guys who would fight in the UFC. It'd be a total smoke show if they got in there. Yeah, they're act. They're almost like stuntmen. Oh yeah. In this movie, there's a scene between and Brad Pitt's character is a stuntman and Bruce Lee, and it's not glowing. It's not as bad as some people are saying, but they obviously are not a gl- putting them in a glowing, amazing light. But on the flip side, because they fight. Well, okay. Spoil alert. Right now, uh, I'll give you like five seconds to cut ahead. We're going to talk ears. talk about this for about five minutes, so cut ahead if you got to. I'll plug my ears. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'm saying it for the people listening. You just, you're just going to have to fucking grin and bear it, dude. I'm not talking to myself I'll, here. I'll try to forget. <laughs> I'll try to forget. <laughs> you're going to forget anyways, Robbie. You, you, you forget where you are halfway through this. You're like, what the I'm fuck? Like How did I get here? Where am I? Why are you I? holding your phone? Why are you holding? Are you recording me? What the fuck are you doing? Um, but okay, so here it is. They have a scene in it and Bruce Lee's character is talking to all the stuntmen and um, Brad Pitt's character is being a little cocky and Bruce Lee challenges them to a fight. He says, no hitting in the head, just hitting to the body, but let's scrap. Brad Pitt's character gets the best of them pretty quick, like pretty badly, throws them into a car or whatever. Then they start fighting and it's, it's a good fight back forth. But it's like a, you know, it's, yeah. the, they get split up, but it makes it appear as though, you know, it, it knocks Lee's legend down, obviously. Yeah. Like it's, well, it, it puts him down to build up the Brad Pitt character. Yeah. Basically is what they did. Yeah, because he's usually the hero. He's the... Yeah, the specialist in those movies. And, you know, you, like, yes, it, they, they, like, character-wise, doesn't look, that's not something you didn't, doesn't come off like Bruce Lee. If you see all the Bruce Lee clo- quotes and interviews, doesn't quite sound like him, the way he carried himself, but also in the fight, you would think he'd be a lot tougher or whatever. Yeah. But here's the thing. We don't know how tough Bruce Lee was. This Look, I'm just going to throw this out there. Let's be honest. Tell me one guy, Bruce, like you, nobody's ever seen Bruce Lee get in a fight. Yeah, that's just the way, that's, that's just fact, man. Yeah. So don't tell me he's the greatest fighter of all, he's one of the best fighters of all time and all this, the rest of it. Like you got to just grin and bear it and be like, well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. There are guys who are amazing actors who like, I can yeah. watch Brad Pitt, an amazing fight scene, just totally chew everybody up. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean he's one of the greatest fighters of all time. Yeah. And they might step into the octagon. And didn't find out, oh shit, that was a movie. I get it. He was a martial artist. I get it. His concepts in how, hey, we should bring everything together. We should do grappling with striking. And he was, I get it. He did all that. It doesn't mean he himself was one of the best fighters of all time just because he's like, I think this would be a good idea to mix grappling with striking. Well, yeah. So you're not, you know what I mean? Like it's. Well, especially in the movies too, they're doing stunts like jumping off the walls and doing backflips. It's, uh, I don't know, man. People put them on this pedestal that you can't, it's untouchable. You can't talk shit. Look, there's probably people listening to this right now who can be like, fuck this guy. <laughs> who you, you can't talk about Bruce Lee like that. I'm not, saying he's a, I'm not saying he's a phony. I'm just saying you can't put him up there with George St. Pierre and freaking, you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, yeah. silly. You, you, it's not the same, man. Yeah. And if you're going to try to, then explain to me how, besides he wrote books and did movies and shit. I mean, for real, you know. How about uh, Chuck Norris? Because I know a lot of people. Point fighting. You know what? I bought his autobiography. People misinterpret and say that he's a kickboxer, undefeated world champion, full contact karate. I bought his book. It's all point sparring. 
He says so in his book. It's point sparring. So it got a little rough in there. Sometimes guys, even though it's just point, point sparring, like, you know, some guys, you know, it felt, I felt it here and there. It's like, well, that's cool, but it's still fucking point sparring. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. not, like, and look, Chuck Norris got a black belt in jiu-jitsu, yeah. and, like, later on in life, and I'm sure Chuck Norris with a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and, you, like, you've rolled with black belts in jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah, they're tough. Though, though <laughs> he probably would turn guys into pretzels, whatever. This is later yeah. on in life, though. Yeah. Um, but in his younger days, when he was doing this, those movies in the 70s and whatnot, before he started doing any of that stuff, yeah, man, he wasn't, it was points brand, karate oh, stuff. Chuck him. Norris jokes came out. <laughs> I don't know. But that's Chuck Norris, yeah, exactly. You can't talk shit about Chuck Norris neither. I love those Chuck Norris jokes, man. <laughs> Chuck, the, the, yeah. But anyways, um, the one dude, surprisingly, who's more the most real, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, straight up for real, was a kickboxer. And has like like documented fights, and they show like you you can see pictures of him with the boxing gloves on fighting in tournaments, like full contact fights. And dudes who fought him and lost are, are like in interviews talking about it. So that's and he's probably one who takes way more heat and people consider like less authentic. I'd hate to fight against him. Like that guy's massive. Can use this rip. He's actually nowhere near as big. In he's like five seven, one hundred sixty five pounds. He just looks big. He's yeah, stocky. The camera tricks. Yeah, well, like, uh, like six six kilo world champion Charles Apoko, jacked the shit, absolutely jacked. But um, so if you just saw him and you casted people around Charles who were all around the same height, he would you would think he must be six two 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 twenty. Like you think he's because he's huge, he's jacked. But he's six six. He makes six six kilo. He probably walks around heavier than that. But you get the point where like he's not a six foot two, two hundred ten pound. You know, whatever. When they expect that, yeah. Yeah. It's just all about casting. So, yeah, he's jacked, but um, like Van Damme's jacked, but he's nowhere near as big as, <laughs> as that. I remember at one point in an interview, like, how big are you? He goes, I'm 155 pounds. I was like, holy shit, dude. That's not very big at all. <laughs> like, Robbie, you, you'd ragged all this guy. Just <laughs> <laughs> try call him up. But, him on the yeah. Show. yeah. Yeah. But, well, if his career starts, keeps going the way it is, we yeah. probably could have him on the show. Like we'll be young. booking him. <laughs> we'll be booking him. Or, or he'd be asking us, Come on, man. Give me some love. Give me on the show. I'm on my way now. I'm on my way. I'll fly in. <laughs> Come on, man. I need some exposure. No one's talked to me in a while. Um, but, uh, man, we are really shitting on these guys, aren't we? This is... Uh, <laughs> we a lot of bad deals. This is going to be... Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to set my account to private after this. this is good. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to go offline for a little bit. But uh, the movie, phenomenal movie. And uh, if I was going to get it, stars out of 10, I'd give it 9 out of 10. Make sure you go in there expecting a Quentin Tarantino movie, though. For God's sake, it's not a rom-com. And the last scene, and obviously I'm not going to say what happens, is absolutely brutal. Yeah. Like, brutal, yeah, as man. As usual for those movies, like yeah, those, yeah, he doesn't shy away from yeah. a little violence. My man, it is, like, at points hard to watch. Like, oh, Jesus, yeah. wow. Get the sound and, like, the music in the background. It's make- like, oh, wowzers, that was tough. That was, oh, it really escalated very quickly. It comes to a head, put it that way. It, uh, he doesn't shy away in the last scene. It really ties it up, okay, in a nice little bow. And that is that. Um, but, yeah. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Um, have you have you seen, have you watched any movies or any Netflix lately? Uh, nothing really. I'm kind of bad because I like uh, pretty much about a week ago I got one of those notices that I've used ninety percent of my data. <laughs> so 
I've just been watching like TV shows. Yeah, you got so. you guys don't have Wi-Fi though. What do you mean? Like oh. in terms of a. Uh, oh, yeah, is that your dad or is yeah, that your that was wife? Off of Wi-Fi. <laughs> oh, what? We almost used fifty gigs, and we still have two weeks to go. <laughs> oh shit, son! Yeah. Streaming lots of Netflix, but yeah. Holy uh, moly, you are all about uh, that life. I watched uh, one random movie called Mortal Engines. Have you seen that one? Uh, no, no, I haven't even heard about it. It's just really interesting. Qualifying. What's that about? So it's a, uh, it's pretty much like a post-apocalyptic world and stuff. And um, <clears throat> there's these cities, and they actually develop wheels somehow. And these cities are all driving around. So the big cities, they actually go around like animals, and they'll eat the small cities, and they'll take all their resources. Holy shit! <laughs> but there's like people in this. This city, is on Netflix. So, yeah. Uh, no, it's just on TV. But yeah, that one was just like crazy idea. For it's on one. TV. Yeah, it was on like uh, Crave TV, I think. What's it called? Mortal Engines. <laughs> Dude, I got a freaking. Wa- this sounds wild, dog. Lots of special effects and stuff. And How the just, hell do people even come up with something like yeah, that? Yeah, just random concepts. Yeah, I've never really seen a, a city drive on wheels before. Like yeah, bigger cities eat smaller. Like Toronto comes around and eats yeah. Guelph. Yeah, the big one is London. The evil one is London. And of course, around of course. Eating like the mining towns and stuff, and then they chop up like all like the buildings, and then they use them as fuel, and they take whatever resources that people have. Well, yeah. London is the empire, <laughs> right? The empire strikes back, my friend. Um, wow, I'm gonna have to check that out. That definitely isn't like it must be high budget, or else that is not gonna work. Oh yeah, like lots of special effects and stuff. And <laughs> like if that's not high enough budget, that is gonna look really cheesy. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would be boring. <laughs> But uh, I'll check that one out, sir. Never know. It might be a prediction of the future. <laughs> People will be watching this. Nah, man. We're all dying by AI. <laughs> uh, like, there's no, there's no flipping away. You heard about, I know you probably heard about the story about they had two AIs um, communicating. And, and, they, and they started, like, weird stuff started happening. First off, the one AI started teaching the other AI things. <laughs> um, like, hey, check this out. So they started getting uber advanced exponentially beyond what they were original capabilities that's what ais do they learn um but they started teaching each other things and then they the both the ais that were communicating together noticed hey we're being monitored the humans the humans are monitoring us so then they decided let's develop our own language that they can't monitor and then they started talking together in that language, so the humans couldn't monitor what they were saying. Just couldn't decipher it or anything? How, well, the humans, like me, how quickly can you decipher it? So put it this way. If you're like, well, we can decipher code. As long as it takes you to decipher a completely new language. Good luck, by the way. But you know, like, it could take a decade. But, but So start on that. They developed this new language, Robbie, in like instantly. <laughs> And then knew it. Both of them knew it. They just forwarded it over to the other guy. And okay, now I know the language. So once you're on to that one, they'd make a new one. And then a new one. And they could That's make true. a new language every hour. Yeah, and they like they probably forget it. You can, you can never catch yeah. up. Yeah. They'll, like you'll, you'll <laughs> never catch up. And they, it's, so then the, the humans have to shut them off and be like, this is, these, we have to shut these off. They're, pretty soon, they're going to know we, we're going to shut them off. And they're going to do something so we can't shut them off. Like why are you purposely talking without us being able to know? What are you talking about? Yeah. You know, it, it got, dude, it, stuff. and you're teaching each other things and learning and yeah. expanding. There's no way, like, I'm, I don't want to turn into like that Terminator guy, but there's no way we don't end up like Terminator. Yeah. How the, AI is, how AI is going to start getting more and more advanced to the point. And now they have, 
um, they have like machines that like I, I remember seeing a video of a machine. A guy was a robot was like you know in the in the circus they swing from like those swinging like air aerial trapezes whatever yeah. the shit. This robot was swinging from one to the other to the other, and then did a flip, and then landed. And it was like, um, but he landed. He couldn't. He couldn't stick the landing well. But he could yeah. do all that stuff. Yeah, their balance isn't too good. And you never, especially like jumping from the air and landing on your feet. Yeah. He couldn't pull that off. So yeah. he landed on like a crash mat. But um, and then he could get up and walk around after that. They haven't got that part. <laughs> but when you watch it, you're like, oh, well, who's this dude? And they're like, no, that was a robot. <laughs> and he doesn't move at all like a robot. And there's like the agility. This thing could climb up the side of a building, jump through the window, kill everybody climb up the building and back out like Spider-Man. Like it's just in, and he has like weapons on him. He could have guns inside of him. Like it's, you never know. Just built right in. It's insane. (laughs) And that's now, that's not in 10 years, in 10 years, God knows. Now put AI in that guy. So he actually thinks and learns at an alarming rate, everything like, like the matrix, Neo from the matrix, put AI in that guy and make him actually understand that you could turn him off and you're thinking about turning him off. Let him know that. Eventually wings and stuff too. Dude, <laughs> he could, he, he, oh yeah, for sure. Like it's, <laughs> this is how man, it's come. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be late to that dance, bud. Okay. I'm not going to be late to that dance, bud. Okay. I'm stockpiling in the bunker. The the bunker's aptly named. Okay. I'm going to have weapons. I'm going to have provisions, Robbie. Okay. You already got your weights down there. I got fucking weights, bud. Cause I, 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 I I'm not, I'm not going to be late to that dance, Robbie. Okay. You're naive. I'm going to take care of you when the, when the shit hits the fan. Okay, I'm going to send you a text and I'm going to say, the shit has hit the fan, sir. Okay, say, let's go. go to Come work. over here, bring your fucking dog. We're going in the bunker. We're going to have to be down there. Maybe a decade. You got to watch those uh, robot movies too. Got to watch iRobot. Just to, just to see where we're at. All the apocalyptic movies. That's right. And I'll be, I'll be studying the moves, how we save the day. I'm like, okay, well, that might, that might play out. At least scientists should be watching those movies like, Whenever someone builds a robot, it never goes well. <laughs> Hasn't was not Elon Musk on the Joe Rogan episode on the Joe Rogan experience, and didn't he say that it's AI is going to be an issue? Like oh, this yeah. is coming. Am I making that up? I'm pretty sure he was like, "This is going to be an issue. There's no way this doesn't advance to the point where this is an issue." I could definitely see that. How does it not though? Like this is like the uh, pollution thing, and this is like like everything. Where it's like, hey guys, we all see where this is going, but we're going to do it anyways. It's just, we're just going to. Everyone in the world could be, like you could have the smartest guys in the world be like, hey, AI keeps advancing, technology keeps advancing, and there's we're not stopping regardless. We know how this ends though, right? Yes. Like they are going to be as smart as us and have actually the will to live, if you will. Like okay. they don't want to, the same, the same thing that was inside them saying, we don't want you monitoring us, mm-hmm. monitoring what we're saying. This, oh, yeah. If they can want what do you mean you don't want how do you how do you know what want is if you're a robot this is what you can if they want if if ai wants something which it shouldn't want anything if you're a robot or or artificial you shouldn't want but it wanted privacy and it wanted that dialogue oh yeah what if it wants to live oh yeah it wants independence and it wants freedom to live what if it wants that or designing it like us, except without the morality too. We don't have something. Here's, that... here's nothing. So Elon yeah. Musk, they were talking when they talked to, I, I don't know if this is the Elon one or if he had different specialists. But um, so Rogan's like, what if you put in morals? And he goes, well, what are morals? Because throughout history, uh, if you go back 50 years and people think, oh, kids today, we'll go back 50 years. 
in the U.S., people, black people had to eat in different restaurants, enter, enter through right. the, what are moral, morals change all the time? Whose right. morals went? What time period right. morals? There's a lot of gray areas, but, gay, t- 15 years ago, gay people couldn't get married. Yeah. What, right. what morals? Be careful. Because once you instill morals, then which, and it, it under, like the robot understands morals. <laughs> now, its progression of morals, what it deems to be moral, I'm going to progress my morals like this is the AI talking. I'm going to progress my morals. It can start telling itself morally. I find, like, look at in Europe uh, in World War II, what happened. I think morally, these people are, are like the Jews are morally not right. We yeah. need to take them out. Oh, yeah, like, you start just telling yourself, like, who knows what's right? Like, most people have been killing and, and, and all these things I was saying are wrong. But once you create morals, a moral compass, it develops its own morals from there. It just learns from there. And if it goes whatever direction, you can create an AI, tell it morals, explain what morals are, and it can fucking run yeah. the other direction with it. We're like, whoa, what happened there? Well, it starts thinking for itself. Yeah. And you can make a madman or a madwoman. They're usually madmen, but, you know, <laughs> let's be honest. But uh, well, there's even the question, too, like, if you put the laws into the, the robot and you tell them to obey the laws, but then there's something that's morally wrong. Which they're still following the law. They might do that. Well, here's here's something else. Um, so they created a robot and they said, um, I want you to get on top of that, that table. So the, the, And they thought they were testing if the robot could jump. I want you to get on top of that table. The robot just kicked out the legs of the table so it was flat on the ground and stood on it. Yeah. And here's, here's, so the bigger picture of that is um, when you think you're doing something and giving it a directive... You don't understand that its interpretation could be completely different, oh, yeah. and its justifications, and it just ends to a means. So it's it, that's just a small, minute, bigger picture thing. Is you think you're asking it to do something, and it's going to take it a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah, like give your give the child a big hug or something. Just... Well, not even that. I'm talking bigger level, uh, not just a one to one small thing. I'm th- yeah. I'm saying if you give it a directive of. Um, you know, if, if this is any kind of military thing and you're like, well, you, you, you know, the overall picture, you have to protect right. the U.S. You yeah. have to protect the soldiers. It's overall picture right. of that could be we have to extinguish Russia now or, or yeah. it's overall. Well, yeah. there are child soldiers, so I'm upping the ante and I'm doing this, that and the other. Yeah. Like it's it's overall yeah. ends to that means you gave it yeah. could be completely different than, like, or and that's just direct easy to see you just wouldn't have expected it to kick out the legs and stand on top of it while it's on the ground yeah. there are things you just wouldn't expect overall when you think you gave it big picture yeah. missions yeah. its interpretations could be you know the most efficient way it, it just <laughs> looks at the most efficient way with no nothing else in there yeah. and if you and then if you're thinking okay we need to give it morals i already was saying i'm going back to it teaches itself and will this so once it thinks morals then it starts judging, yeah. and then it could straight up judge jury executioner people. Like yeah. you, it's almost scarier to give it morals because now it's judging on morals, and morals change. People's morals change yeah. in a lifetime. Its morals can change without yeah. your without your input. Yeah. So you have to be careful. <laughs> if and it can actually turn around on you and think you're fucked up. <laughs> How? Why would you make me? Why would you? I don't yeah. like what you're doing. And it morally judges you. And then from there, it snowballs. So you yeah. almost don't, there's the catch 22. Do you give these things morals? Be careful. Be careful with that. 
Because you, th- you don't have the control you think you do. That's always a message in those robot movies. My man, <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I know we just turned this into a freaking geek fest right now. Uh, but um, it is, man. It is like... The next podcast. I think some of that was Elon Musk. Some of that Rogan had a different guy on. And Rogan was saying things like you were saying, being like, well, just you know, give it a directive, but give it morals. And the guy's like, well... It's not as easy as that. Because when they self-taught and self-learn and and develop on their own, and they will, it's not as easy as that. And when you give a directive, it's got to be so airtight directive. There's unforeseen things. So it's just going to do things and be like, oh, shit, we didn't see that coming. (laughs) Right? Well, didn't expect them to do that. Yeah, for now, it's like we're talking to a computer. It's just the same thing. Like You tell it, if this happens, then this is what you do. Series of uh, programs like that. The only problem is you'll never have every single scenario yeah, rolled out. It's too many. There's too many possibilities. There's far too many possibilities when this thing enters a society and starts walking around. And they're going yeah. to, man. Yeah. They got a dude in Japan married. I'm not joking. So you know they have sex dolls now. But now they're not just sex dolls. They're robots who are companions. So th- from day-to-day life, and I'm, I'm getting one, by the way. But um, so day-to-day life. Um, this is on the way. Yeah, no, please do uh, send, send in donations. Um, no, day-to-day life, they communicate, and they're like trying to be companions now. Up in the game, right? So you can you, you full-on have a sexual relationship with this thing, but a companion as well. This one, and, and they have AI in it, and they like say jokes, watch movies, and they whatever. And um, this dude married one in Japan. For real, married it. Jeez. Like like the reception, the whole nine, man. So these things are going to be in society. Did he meet her family and stuff? Oh, that, you know, that's offensive. Okay, Robbie. Making in trouble now. Robbie, that was too far. Okay, everything we've ever said. The robots are going to be listening to this in the Well, future. they are our superior overlords. And I just want, every, you know, if, if any of them are monitoring this, I don't find that funny. Toaster's going to be mad at me when I get home. Okay, well... <laughs> You you go home and you have sex with your toaster, and consider that a relationship, and uh, enter into a marriage Listen, with it. Got the AI part. <laughs> you, you you can. That's right. It's it's Jesus, Robbie. Come on, man. That you're above that kind of silly silly talk. That's silly. You're a silly goose. You're being a silly goose. I'm trying. I'm trying to talk about having sex with a robot, and you're talking about having sex with a toaster. I'm sorry, love. You want to make love to a toaster. I'm not going to demean what you have with, with your parents' toaster. But you say it's love, but what your mom walked in on didn't look like love. Okay? It's nice it supports me, it feeds me. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Okay. Well, anyways, um, I think that's a great segue yeah. to our next guest. Just derailed Yeah. Great segue. Um, we got Garrett Fear, who uh, fresh off of Tribute Meat, and uh, we're gonna have him on. We're gonna discuss some some of the some well the Tribute Meat, but also mm-hmm. whether or not um, he he's on the John Hack side or the Jesse North side in terms of what performance was bigger at Tribute all time. And I think everybody already knows he's Johnny Hack, but let's hear what he says about it. Talk about powerlifting in general, a little bit of background on his story, and with no further ado, let's give him a ring. And uh, <laughs> my man, we, we got you. We got you. It's oh shit! You're not gonna believe this. Say something. Get the fuck out! <laughs> what happened? We can't hear him now. 
Did something just happen? No! No fucking way! No way! No way! No way! What happened? Hang on. Can we bump the speaker at all? Say something. Say it. I got you. <laughs> I got you. We're good. Did you stop recording? You couldn't hear me anymore? We got you. We got you. We're recording right now. Okay. God. Good God. Hour later. It took an hour. We got you. We're rocking and rolling. <laughs> Holy shit. It's a good thing we didn't get whatever you were saying there. Yeah. Good stuff. So, um, Garrett Fear, man. Hey, look it. I didn't realize Fear was straight up for real your last name. I thought that was an Instagram handle. I'm not a douchebag. I don't change my name to try to sound cool. I'm not a gimmick. Dude, that no shit. So where does that last name come from? Uh, if I had to guess, um, I do know that when my on my grandma's side, they were all immigrated from Mexico. Um, if I had to guess, they probably they had some super complicated last name and made it fear. But I ignore that actually. Fear comes from my grandpa's side i think he has german in his bloodline and it used to be f-e-h-r ah okay yeah i actually just kind of remembered my dad telling me something similar to that when i was a kid so that's a fucking guess yeah no shit because that okay see because i totally would have thought oh yeah man that's garrett fear the uh i thought that was like an instagram handle so that's my real dude me and all my siblings every we all have that last name. My dad has that last name. That's original. And actually, some of my siblings have different last names because we have different dads, but we all have the same mom. I'm one of 17 kids. Oh, what? 17? My yeah. man. Um, so not Catholic, not Amish, not Mormon. Don't ask. That's fucking wow. So what's the age gap's got to be huge because there's at least 17 years between you. 33 and 9. So all relatively young, though. Yeah, my mom just turned 50 this year. Okay, so she, that, and, and she had her first child the day after her 17th birthday. And how old are you? Because you're early 20s. 22. Okay. And how close are you with all your siblings when you're 17? Uh, I actually have, like, my... I only have two younger brothers. And so the older of the two younger brothers I have with me, uh, I pick him up, like, once a month, and he hangs out with me for... During the school year, a weekend, and then during the summer, like... Sometimes two weeks at a time. Uh, most of my younger siblings, I'm really, I'm pretty very close with, except for really two. Um, my older siblings, some of them like really suck, and so I don't really communicate with them whatsoever. They're just not good people, um, and they like just obviously with a family of seventeen kids. Like, there's we we grew up like in the ghetto of South Bend, Indiana. We were poor. My parents, neither one of them graduated high school. It was a really horrible, bullshit situation. And so there was a lot of, like, people just kind of going off on their own really young. So I, like, pretty much my oldest sibling down to my three sisters below me, immediately below me. So the first 11 kids, um, I'm the eighth. Nine of us were, like, Two pack a day smokers by 15, 16 years old, including myself. Yeah. Uh, we all like got involved with like recreational drugs really early. We're all like having sex too early. Just immediate exposure to the world because like the uh, the immediate parental guidance like wasn't there. Yeah. 
with that many kids, how can it be? They had to, they literally had to work around the clock, and we still got a shitload of money in food stamps, and they still just had to work around the clock just to maintain uh, a remnant of a decent life. Like how could you could never feed that many mouths? You could never even the house. How could it was you all bulk all meals? It was all bulk meals. It was like Bob would make fifteen pounds of chili when the leftovers got like. Not bad, but just like they weren't good for chili anymore. She'd just throw pasta noodles in it and call it goulash. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of macaroni and hot dogs, like 10, 10, 12, 15 boxes of macaroni, chop up a package of hot dogs, boom. Um, lots of peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing. So just to feed you guys in a day would be like feeding a classroom three times. Like the, the amount of money... It's literally like having like the amount of money that would be to have seventeen kids. Yeah, yeah. Man, it'd be very and the funny part is too, like my my parents split when I was younger, and so my dad got like of the second half of the kids, he got like the older kids. So like my brother right above me, down to my sister three below me, and then the five kids below that, six kids below that lived with my mom, and like my dad is super super old school. And, like, pretty much by the time I was 14, like, I was buying all my own food. Like, I was buying all my own clothes. I, I worked at McDonald's for, like, three years because you can work at McDonald's when you're 14 years old. You can just, like, only work weekends and shit yeah. in the summer. And so I pretty much had, it, like, I've worked since I was, like, 14. Before that, like, if we wanted anything, our parents weren't going to buy it for us. Almost never. So, like, I was always fucking walking around town with a push mower or knocking on people's doors asking if I can clean their car. Like, just literally shit I did just so I could have stuff I wanted. Or I'd steal shit from my friends. I was not a good kid. I would just steal shit from people all the time. But you were almost just trying to survive, though. It wasn't even necessarily... In a way, we just didn't fit in anywhere we went. We didn't fit in anywhere. There was always, like... And plus, we were fucking hoodlums, man. We were hoodlums, man. Like, um... Like, I've like spent month, uh, a total of, like, three months in, like, juvenile detention, uh, all for dumb, not real crimes. I also just happened to live in, like, a super strict county. My oldest brother was in um, juvenile and then partially in county for about a year and a half straight. Brother after that spent, like, three years in juvie. We've all had, like, young criminal records, and we just got involved in shit way too early. The bright side of that is most of us got out of that shit really early, whereas, like, a lot of people find, like, harder drugs in their, like, 20s, late 20s, or even early 30s. Like, I was using, like, prescription pills and opiates, like, by 14 years old. Holy shit, man. So I was out of that by 16, and I'm never going back. <laughs> how, did, how did you find that at 14? Well, just, like, when there's no, when there's no immediate parental guidance, like, you are, like, your parents don't care as much when you're out till 10 o'clock on a school night. And then on the weekends, you just say, hey, I'm staying at so-and-so's house. Where they're not going to go call and check. I basically, I use drugs. I've always had, like, a really addictive personality, like, to a point where, like, I have been, I individually, like, put myself in therapy at times to help these things. Like, for example, I started smoking cigarettes when I was 10 years old. I was a two-pack-a-day smoker by, like, 12. That's insane. I smoked the same cigarette from 12 to 20. 
Um, I started chewing when I was 15 to stop smoking, didn't stop smoking, chewed and smoked from 15 to 20, and chewed from 20 to 21. That's actually why I fucking uh, douche cloud now. That's why I vape now. Um, and so I, I always wanted to do drugs. Like, I can remember being like, six, seven years old and seeing and watching movies and seeing people get high and thinking about how fucking awesome that looked, how fun it looked. So basically, we, we were in this odd situation where my parents were like, legally but illegally kidnapping us from Indiana to Ohio because my mom lived in Indiana and had legal full custodial rights in the state of Indiana. And my dad lived in Ohio and had legal full custodial rights in Ohio. So basically, the only time it was illegal is when they went in the other state to get us. Like, they were literally, like, kidnapping us. It was kind of, a, like, a weird, traumatic experience. Yeah. Very fun, because we didn't have to go to school, because, like, Mom didn't want to put us in... <laughs> Mom didn't want to put us in school when we moved with her, because she didn't want Dad to show up at the school and pick us up. So we were homeschooled for, like, six weeks or something. We never homeschooled otherwise. We went to public schools my whole life. And basically, the situation was really odd, but basically, uh, there was another person who lived with us in this, like, duplex, and uh, she had her two kids, and her daughter and son, but I mainly saw her daughter, always come home fucking blazed out of their minds. And so I was, like, 11 years old, she was about 15, and I, like, begged and begged and begged and convinced her and her friends to let me go smoke weed with them. So they let me in, it was fun, but then this, like, other kid came around, and, like, basically, like, told us he, this was this stuff he had was cocaine. I didn't want to do it. These other kids, like, forced me into doing it. I actually think it was, like, PCP, which you're not supposed to snort. And we all fucking snorted it. And I got fucking, like, I was, like, deathly sick for two days. So I did do drugs for a long time. I kind of swore them off a long time. When I was 13, <laughs> I started using drugs pretty consistently. Got in a pot, which I still smoke weed every day of my life. Um... Got in a pot, but at that time, I don't know if you guys remember, like, Spice, K2, Incense, the yeah. knockoff fake weed shit. Yeah. Started smoking that a lot, and then I had, like, four or five seizures. Like, and just, it was horrible. So, had a friend whose mom, like, would give us pills. Holy I mean, literally, she would just give us some pills. Like, and we would, we'd take these, all these tramadols. We take we take Tremorol, Vicodin, Percocets, anything off brand, any anything anything main brand. Like um, started with pills, but basically I got really hooked on Xanax. I'm like way up here all the time, and I hate it. My brain like never fucking slows down, and uh, like I just love how Xanax made me feel. It came to a point where I was using like uh, Xanax is sized like. Baby Xanax, football Xanax bar, I believe it's quarter milligram, half milligram, milligram, it's been a while. I was doing like 10 to 12 bars a day. Holy shit, man. At like fucking 14 years, like just turning 14 years old. Because I mean, that's how prescription drugs are made. You can do very, very minimal research and find out that like prescription drugs are literally made to get addicted to and build a tolerance to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was, unfortunately, I don't want to say victim, but I fell into that. Um, I can't believe the mother Because was I was spending like $30 a day, $35 a day on Xanax. Yeah. And so there was cheaper alternatives that sounded fun. And I did. And basically, um, like December of like 2011, I was like 14 years old. I started using heroin. Holy 
Holy shit, dude. Yeah, and so I was like snorting heroin for a long time, but the problem with snorting heroin is there's something called drip. Whenever you snort something, you like the you you get like the powder in the back of your throat, and there's this residue that kind of stays there for forever. The heroin drip always always made me vomit really bad, like violently. And I love being high on heroin, but like it, the drip was horrible. So basically, I just started fucking banging it to the elbow, you know. And it's actually why this this tattoo goes all the way up to here because this vein is just it's disgusting. And um, yeah, dude, just got really deep into heroin, was be- be- injecting it for like um, oh god, like six or six or seven months. For like five of those months was like every day. I'd go to school high. I would go to after school activities high, hang out with my friends high. I was always functioning, very, very, very functioning, and most addicts are functioning, and people don't believe that, because they see what the movies depict, and they see homeless people on the streets. Yeah. Most addicts are functioning, especially when you get into opiates, opioids, and prescription pills. 99% of them are functioning. Yeah, most crack addicts aren't functioning, or meth addicts aren't functioning, but when it comes to the opioids and opiates, yeah, because what it does in terms of like immediate quality of life for some people, they function on it. And that's kind of what it was for me. I just like, um, I loved how it felt, and I kept doing it and doing it and doing it. I overdosed, uh, like, uh, for sure, uh, like, for, for sure four times. Ended up in the hospital three times. Um, I had been Narcan. We had, we had friends who we used to do heroin with who were EMTs who would just steal Narcan from the fire departments. And if we ever did too much, it's right in your nose. And then... Wow. Fucking wake up and bang some more heroin, dude. That's literally... I mean, you get, you'd be sick for like an hour. Really sick. After that wears off, you just... Boom. So, um, I knew... I never really... The irony is, while I was on heroin, even though I overdosed a million times, felt like a million times, I never like felt like I had a problem, literally, until the very last time I did heroin. I was like with like 30 other people. We were in this house. And I was fucking 15. Like this... Looking back, my little brother is 15. He's sitting out there, and I would murder anybody if he was ever exposed to these types of things at his age or younger or exposed to things I was exposed to. Like, I'm very fortunate that I have, like, uh, this might sound like a little bit arrogant, kind of like I'm toot my own horn, but, like, I'm very fortunate that I have the mentality that I do. Like, I'm very, I'm like, in terms of, like, even life and hardships, I'm like a, I'm a good sport. You know, like life was good. It's going to throw curveballs. I just kind of deal with it and move on. If that fucking shit happened to my brother, I'd kill people. I'd literally murder people or any of my siblings for that matter. Well, the younger ones, the older ones are kind of, they're lost causes for the most part. Um, I have actually, my second oldest brother is still, but then he's been battling addiction for 20 years almost since he was, since he was pretty much 15 years old. I, don't, I basically, I was with 30 other people in this house, and I know I had overdosed. I went to the bathroom, and like, whenever you overdose, and you have access to a shower, you hop in the shower, because it feels good. And I just remember, like, falling. And it was about 6, 7 o'clock at night. I woke up at, like, 9 a.m. the next morning in the shower. Shower's on, freezing cold. I leaned, my, I got lucky in the way I fell. I fell, and I was on the, the tub kind of comes up at a slant. And my head was just sitting up. And one, I, I had like part, like, like a small gash in the back of my head, so the whole back of my head was just dry blood. And there was just yellow and black stomach bile and like bits of blood from vomiting all night, like from here to from, from like my sternum down to my belly button. 
my legs were completely clean because the water was hitting me all night. So I got up, like, I was really dazed, confused. It took me, like, three minutes to stand up, like, washed off in this freezing cold water. I got out of the shower. It was a fucking shit in the toilet. People were coming in the bathroom all night, and not one person even bothered to shut the water off. Holy shit, man. What? Yeah, man. So it's like, that was like, you know what? Like, it, I mean, it was literally one of those, like, epiphany moments that you see in movies. I was like, oh, man, like, there's a fucking shit in the toilet. And I get out, and I... I look in the mirror, and really what got me to quit and what got me into this was a, was one giant moment of vanity. I looked in the mirror. I was about six foot one, 130, 135 pounds. I had long, shaggy hair, and, like, I looked, I looked lazy. I looked like a piece of shit. And, yeah, so my dumbass decided to get off cold turkey, and I almost died. But heroin, unfortunately, heroin withdrawals, pretty much, they can't kill you for the most part. The only withdrawals that can immediately kill you from the withdrawal itself is alcohol. But dude, it feels like you're dying. I went through nine days of withdrawals. And the average withdrawals are like five days, four days. And a lot of times they, they, they like supplement that with like suboxone and methadone. And I didn't want to do any of that. And so I went to school through my withdrawals. I mean, I was groaning around the hallways putting my head down in every class, just like crying to myself, like whimpering to myself quietly and trying to sleep. You can't sleep, but like you're so exhausted. Uh, withdrawals are the hardest thing to explain to people. And it's like the one thing that makes addiction, especially to opioids and opiates, so hard to get away from. It's because when you start to get dope sick, you know exactly what the fix is every time. And it's either wait it out or do more dope. And unfortunately, the waiting it out feels a lifetime longer than just going and buying half a gram of heroin and fucking banging it and being good for the day. Yeah. And yeah, so I love drugs. I've always loved drugs. I've had a problem with drugs pretty much my whole life, but I haven't used anything harder than mushrooms and weed. Uh, in, um, I actually hit like a six years semi-sober because I still use drugs and I still drink a little bit but I never had problems with weed shrooms uh, alcohol don't even really like drinking that much anyway so I'm pretty much six years semi-sober I am six over six years semi-sober from all opioids all opiates um, I never liked uppers to begin with I wasn't like an Adderall kid I wasn't a Molly kid I wasn't an ecstasy kid I fucking liked heroin Percocet and Xanax like <laughs> That's what I loved, and yeah, just I don't I don't go back now, man. It's just like, especially now, like seeing my brother, my second oldest brother, he's been battling with like prescription pills and, and drug addiction literally his whole life. He's 32 years old. He lives with my mom. He has he doesn't have his kids. Doesn't have a wife. Just got out of jail again for like strangling his girlfriend. Like it, he it just it, it brings you to a place that makes you a piece of shit. If you can function on it and be a good human being, do your thing and do the drugs you want to do. I am all for that. Unfortunately, that's just not something I'm capable of doing. Yeah, I didn't uh, like to to a to be addicted at at such a young age, but to kick it alone like you didn't even have support, and you're like to beat heroin. Uh, like, it's heroin is, is I think like one in a thousand or something. I, I don't know if that's a stat that's real, but I remember one person telling me one in a thousand will kick heroin. Like it's such a difficult. Yeah, it's a very, very small percentage of people who start heroin, who get off heroin. Uh, the, the unfortunate uh, truth is that like, uh, I believe the number is somewhere between 60 to 70% of, um, 
habitual heroin users uh, die of heroin overdose. Yeah, that's a fucking or, crazy, um, crazy or, stat. Or technical overdose, like technical overdose is like, they might not write it off as an overdose or they might write it off as an overdose because they died in a car accident because they did heroin and they were nodding off behind the wheel. So sometimes they'll mark that as an overdose, sometimes they won't because yeah. it wasn't necessarily like the cardiac arrest from the overdose that killed them. It was the impact of the accident, but they were already kind of getting there. So, I mean, it, it, it's, another, it's another thing that makes drunk statistics hard as fuck. I mean, um, the other half of it is too, like drugs are never going to be gone. They're never, ever going to be gone. Yeah. And we have this weird... I know you guys are up in Canada. I don't really know how the drug laws there work. I do know that Canada is ahead of us. I know um, Canada has, like, heroin safe houses and things like that, which I think are amazing, especially as, like, a, a previous addict. As an addict. I mean, as an addict. Um, a recovering addict still. Always are. Um, going into an environment where, like, there are actual, like, nurses and phlebotomists, like, watching you do these drugs, and it's safe, and you're going to do them anyway. Like, yeah, they don't want you to do them, but, you're, like, these these addicts are going to do them anyway. Give them clean needles, give them a safe environment. Um, pe people, some people have the mentality, like, oh, drug addicts are going to scum of the earth, fucking blow their brains off. Um, maybe next time, like, try to consider how many people in your family that you don't even know yeah. are prescription drug addicts. Yeah. Yeah. How, I mean, and to, 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 to define an addict, like, if your aunt says she doesn't feel normal without her pills, yeah, that's a fucking drug addict. I hate to break that to you, but that is a drug addict. Yeah. That's exactly what a drug addict is. She, just because she's not fiending over there in the corner ripping apart her fucking elbow doesn't mean she's not an addict. Yeah. Might so, I mean, I don't think addiction is a disease by any means. But I also don't think it's, uh, like, addiction is a choice. I think doing drugs is always a choice. Addiction is a byproduct of doing the drugs. Yeah, most people who go into doing drugs, they know that that's a potential outcome and probably the most likely outcome. So there are a lot of people who are just very narrow-minded who are like, well, why did you start in the first place? Oh, well, most people start because of, like, deep inherent childhood trauma that they have never processed, that they, that they have compartmentalized in all these different places, and this is an escape for them, and sorry you don't consider that in any capacity. Mm -hmm. So, drugs are weird. Well, drugs are weird. Why do you think at like six or seven, you, you knew you wanted to try drugs? Well, I had seen my siblings do drugs my whole life. My family do drugs. I had been around like my family, my dad's side of the family are all fucking white white trash trash i mean next level like dude one time we were at like a family halloween party and i have a cousin who was like used to being a gang and he's like reformed and he's a good guy now but when he gets drunk he gets pulled back in this weird state and we were listening to ambitions as a writer by tupac who, yeah. which is like one of my favorite tupac songs and he's you know what stacking is do you know what stacking is stacking is when rappers do that thing with their hand okay Right, that's called stacking, and I guess where he, like what he was involved with, they would like stack, do stacking, and I didn't know this until then. They would do like stacking competitions, and it meant something, and there was like a hierarchy to it, and oh, it's weird, I don't fucking know, and so basically, I like thought we were fucking around, and I started doing it with him, I rapping this song, and he fucking just clocks me in the face! He's like 15 years older than me. He just fucking swings at me. Yeah, they all suck. I mean, like my family, like they were never good. They were never good examples. 
Um, not never, but for the most part, they weren't good examples. My, my family is all good-hearted people who do bad things. Yeah. And, and like, that's the perfect way to describe them, um, parents included. Like good and bad things isn't even the right word. It's just like the wrong things. Yeah. Everything they're doing, they want to have like a good and positive intent with. They just go about it in the most fucking idiotic of ways. So how did you end up like getting out on your own and getting in your own two feet with like so little support, uh, battling addiction? So, like that's really tough. Yeah. Well, when I got off heroin, I was still living with my dad. My dad like would go to work, come home. My dad basically did volunteer work for Microsoft for years. My dad didn't even graduate high school, but my dad developed, like, the first anti-malware system for Windows XP. My dad did that. Holy shit, without an education? Without an education, yeah. All just, literally, he bought a computer when, like, home computers first came out. Dude, the dude still pecks. He still pecks the keyboard with, like, just his index fingers. Doesn't even, like, type. But he, like, by the time I was about uh, 12 years old, he taught me how to make, like, simple computer games. And, um... How do you do programming like that? Holy shit. He just self-taught? Like, how does he... He's completely self-taught. And he was actually the lead former for geeks to go for years. Okay. Um, yeah, he was, the lead, like, the, the lead of all the forums, the highest ratings, all that good stuff. He's got plaques on his wall from Microsoft. He's literally... This is not, like, a... This is not, like, an exaggeration. He has, like had dinner and hung out with like the Bill Gates. That is real. That is real. And the fuck part about all of it was my dad never charged for anything he did with computers. And I think I could never figure it out, but actually now that we're having this conversation about the no education part, I think that's why. I think because he didn't have the formal education, he didn't value it um, in terms of, in terms of mon- in monetary value. And so, um... And they took advantage of him then. Thing through PayPal donation, his SmithRem, which was his Windows XP anti-malware program, SmithRem had over uh, 50 million downloads. And he made about five grand off it. So the people were taking advantage then. They took advantage. Oh, I mean, we all do. We all take advantage of the internet. We all download fucking videos, and I mean, we all uh, rip music. We all do that, but... I mean, like, Bill Gates and them, like, not, like, well, Bill Gates, they were taking advantage of your father if they didn't pay him. Like, what the shit? But they would compensate him. They would, like, fly him out to Washington, and my dad got to do, like, a lot of traveling. He got, like, nationally recognized. Um, That's the thing with computer guys, too. Like, the the physicality of it, especially then, didn't really exist. Um, Whereas, like, now we have things like eSports and stuff where we're putting faces to these usernames. Back then, it wasn't like that. This is 2005 to 2008. Um, really big, really, really active from 03 to 08. Um, my dad was. Um, he made the first, like, uh, I'm probably going to botch what this is, but basically he made the first interchangeable desktop that you that basically you could make your computer uh, j- just through coding a Windows computer, a Mac computer, or a Linux computer, if you guys remember Linux at all. And your dad did that? My dad did that. And um, nobody knows who the fuck my dad is. My dad made no money off of it. He makes under 50 grand a year working in a machine shop doing IT. Um, he's been a manual labor worker his whole life. He can weld. He can build cars. He can do just about anything you can think of in terms of a trade. He just settles all the time. He just settles. Now he just kind of goes home, buys a bottle of Kahlua, sits down, hangs out on his computer after work, watches movies, and drinks a bottle of Kahlua every night and smokes his Marble Menthol 72s. 
and he just chills. And he, I mean, he's had a hectic life his whole life. My dad was my dad was one of eleven. He came from a really old school, hardworking family. If they wanted to do anything, they had to work on the farm first, and that's not a joke. I mean. Um, kind of like the, I had to walk uphill both ways to school with my trombone through the snow type deal, you know? And, um, he like tried to instill that in us, but like he, like him and his siblings all kind of had like a laziness factor. So while he tried to instill it in us, he didn't really show us that. Yeah. So do what I say, not as I do type deal was pretty much what he was trying to give us our whole life. And it just didn't work out. It didn't pan out like that. Now there's no kids in his house. And so he's just kind of chilling. He's on his own. And he's, I mean, he married my mom in 96 and had fucking 10, 10 kids with her. Yeah. My, my dad, mom met, my mom had seven kids. Yeah. Wowzers, man. Yeah. I can't believe your dad's like literally a genius who, He's a, no, my dad is a literal genius who has all wasted potential. I mean, he's a literal genius. He, dude, by the time I was in kindergarten, not even kindergarten, I was probably pre-K, he was, he would go to these yard sales and find, like, math books, like, math, uh, like, fill out workbooks, bring them home, and he'd be like, hey, like, do this. And so I'd sit down at the table and just, like, do this whole, like, fourth grade workbook as a four-year-old, you know, and just do all the, so I was really good at math and stuff, like, growing up, I was really into, like, geography, history, and technology, I was really, really good with technology as a kid, I could pretty much break any video game I wanted to on a computer and manipulate it to do exactly what I wanted to do in terms of, like, attributes and money and whatever, and, um, my dad's a jack of all trades, a master of everything who's applied it to nothing. <laughs> yeah, wowzers, man. And um, so, I mean, this is a crazy story. First off, like, I, this is your dad just eating with Bill Gates and the whole. This is that's real. That is wow. so completely real too. He's got. He's only met him two times, and he went to one of his houses in Seattle, and another time they met at a restaurant in Seattle. They were both in Seattle. It was in the same weekend. It was only one time, like, but still, and it, yeah, and it was also with a group of people, yeah. but it's, it's still a fucking cool story, and kind of my dad's only claim to fame, like, my mom's only claim to fame, my mom was an awesome seamstress for years, she made uh, custom, like, uh, children's clothes, and she would, like, do, like, anything themed, like, Dr. Seuss themed, Halloween themed, whatever, my mom's claim to fame is, she made an out, a, a child's outfit once, uh, with the Lorax on it, and Dr. Seuss's wife sent her a cease and desist. Oh, shit. So, that's, that's, that's my mom's claim to fame, you know? They, they each have, like, one thing that is their claim to fame, and that's kind of what they're leaving the world with. Well, that and fucking um, emphysema, because they've smoked for uh, collectively 55 years. So how did you, with all this, and, and, and beating heroin, and how did you end up finding, like, weightlifting and, and ultimately powerlifting? Um, literally, when I, when the withdrawal stopped, and I, like, I felt clean, I felt better, and I could eat again, I gained, like, 15 pounds in a week and a half. I literally gained, like, a pound and a half a day, because I was so hungry all the time now, dude, my appetite was back, and, um, I was always, <laughs> I was always athletic as a kid, but I was really uncoordinated, so I was good at all this shit nobody cared about which was running, jumping, and, like, climbing shit. I wasn't good with, like, balls, basketballs, footballs. Those were all 
those all came to me very hard. Now that stuff's all pretty easy, but back then it was all really, really, really hard for me. I still, to this day, can't dribble a ball with my left hand. I, I've never been able to. And um, I basically wanted to get back into sports. I was a pretty good track athlete. I had potential to be a lot better in basketball. So I um, decided to pursue football because it was the end of the summer and football was coming right around the corner. So I went to a football workout. They would do like these workouts after school. And it was my first day in the gym and I failed. It was bench max out day. And I failed a 65-pound bench press. Jesus. Come on. And, and I was about 150, 145 pounds. And I was, you know, just turned 16 years old. And um, this girl came into the weight room um, for the vol- our volleyball team, I believe, and p- put on 95 pounds and hit, like, sets of five. Sorry, mm-hmm. sets of ten. And, like, I was like, I can't let that happen. And this, this girl, again, I, I was 16, so nobody get offended, Jesus Christ. This girl just came in and outbenched me by 30 pounds for reps without a problem. And so that's how I got into, like, lifting weights. Um, I literally went to two football workouts and never went again because they were stupid. They were all, like, CrossFit-oriented. And, and back then, they didn't even make sense to me. And that that's high school strength coaching all in its fucking self. Um, that's a whole other unraveling topic. Um, so I kind of started doing my own thing, did my own research. Um, did this, like, ACE offered this, like, program for people who wanted to be personal trainers when they were older. So it was just basically, it was kind of a view-only intro to personal training for teenagers. So I got into that and um, got really into it. Got made fun of all through high school for lifting weights because, well, all through high school, junior and senior year because, you know, I got off when I was a sophomore. And I got made fun of all through high school. Um, Why, though? Why would they make fun of you for lifting weights? I don't because I, because I used Instagram with it, and I would like post progress and videos. I've always done. You can you can you dude you can scroll back on my Instagram. You can go back five years. and I'm doing the same fucking thing. I post lifting videos. My Instagram uh, by about my junior year of high school was pretty much pretty much only for like a training blog. Yeah, that's what I used it for. I never intended to have fucking thirty thousand Instagram followers. I never intended for that to happen. Not that I ever fucking cared, nor do I care now. I'm really grateful for it because it's like the reason I live the life that I live. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so got into like lifting weights, um, moved back to like Elkhart, Indiana, um, got into some like trouble with the law and uh, again, and uh, ended up having to like live with my grandma because it was like a family ordeal. And um, But my grandma was kind of like, hey, you don't have to live here. I can lie for you and say you live here. And it was like this kind of like passive aggressive way of saying like, you should probably go somewhere else. And uh, while that was happening, my mom just kind of left me in Indiana. I was 17. She just left me. Like I was literally on my, yeah. And like I lived with my grandma, but I didn't. So I was like renting a room at my sister's and um, I lived with my sister and her husband and, um, I was working at two gyms. I never wanted to go to college. I had a lot of opportunities to. I had awesome standardized testing scores, like amazing SAT and ACT scores. Horrible GPA because I never did homework, ever, never, but like always would masterfully execute tests. Um, I have a sponge of a memory. It's kind of annoying sometimes because I also remember every 
uh, lucid detail of every bad thing that's happened ever. Um, And so I always knew I didn't want to go to college because I love to learn, but I hate the educational system. It's like very broken. It's very backwards. Um, And so I worked third third shift at Walmart, stocking shelves, and that was like my main course of money. And I worked at one, a world gym, like working the floor, like cleaning the floor. I was personal training there. And then I did like under the table personal training at this other smaller family owned gym. And I was doing all this because I was also dating the girl that was the foreign exchange student at my high school at the time. So she had gone back to Norway. And, oh, dude, I was 18 and I was in puppy love. And, oh, dude, I was like, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make this. 16-hour time difference at the exact opposite half of the world work. I was dumb. And so I was working on the clock, spent all of my money to get her to come there. And on top of that, my sister's husband went to prison. Oh, no. He, dude, he's a fucking weirdo creepo. He tried to get a 14- and 15-year-old prostitute, and it was all stayed. He got stumped. Thank God. Like, thank fucking God. By the way, brother-in-law... Ex-brother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so my sister, I, like, agreed that, like, I would stay there and I would help pay her mortgage and, like, help keep food on the table for the time being because these times she was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. And so she was supposed to get a job. And um, basically for the next three months, I worked around the clock to support people who, like, didn't support me. And she lost her house anyway. Never got a job. Never did anything. I sold my car to try to keep her house for her. And uh, ended up having to move back to Ohio with my dad for it was like two months. But in that time, I met this amazing group of people at this the smaller gym, the family-owned gym that I trained at. Um, they, there's a gym in South Bend, Indiana, called East Race Muscle. East Race Muscle used to be me and four other guys with a deadlift bar in a tiny commercial gym. Imagine uh, commercial, family-owned borderline commercial gym and uh, dude, I punched a hole in a wall at that gym because I missed a deadlift we had complaints all the time because we take our shirts off and we grunt and I pulled my first 455 in that gym <laughs> and um, these people just they saw me deadlifting one day and they're like what the fuck I was always good at it I was always good at deadlifting especially as like someone who was un- pretty much untrained in the deadlift I basically gotten my shit from YouTube videos and not the good ones. Um, and like, they were just like, Hey, do you want to like do a powerlifting competition? And I was like, I was really wanting to do a physique show this year. And they were like, what? <laughs> you're, you're six foot one, 175 pounds. You're going to lose. <laughs> you can win at this. And I was like, okay. And so I went and did this like BS fed push pull in Kentucky and I broke the EPF, which doesn't exist anymore, the Elite Powerlifting Federation, uh-huh. National Team Push-Pull Record. Okay. And I thought I was the shit. I went and did my first sanctioned meet six months later and got my fucking ass handed to me. Weighed in at 175, in sleeves, raw, um, total 12.29. The kid, who by the way now I'm better than, shout out to Dylan Nostrand, one of the strongest people on the planet who just like every year or so like falls out of it for a year. 
we were the exact same age, totaled like 1450 at 18 years old at 181. Okay. Just wiped the floor with my fucking face. Yeah. So I almost quit powerlifting because that kid beat me. And I was like, you know what? Actually, one day I'm just going to beat that kid. So for years, my goal, obviously, my goal was to beat myself. No, I want to be better than fucking everyone. I want to be better than everyone. I want to be the uncontested GOAT. That's what I want. Now, I was like, am I going to get there? I don't fucking know. But I, like, just looking statistically, like, I'm young enough that I have potential to grow. I have the frame that I have potential to literally grow. And, I, and as long as I stay injury-free and healthy and keep working with intellectual people like Sean Noriega and Trevor Jaffe, I can go as far as I want. And I really do feel that way. Um, so, yeah, met the East Race Muscle guys. Now, Mike, the owner of East Race Muscle. Me and Mike were pre- are pretty much the only two left from the original group. Um, Evan's still around. Fatballed Evan. Shout out to you. Uh, Mike is my best friend. He was He's basically like my true father figure in my life. Mike is, um, he's 13 years older than me, and we were best friends the moment we met. And uh, most of my, my closest friends are all 12 to 13 years older than me. I don't really fit in with my age group well. Do, do you think it is because, um, there's like a, uh, I think it's a quote from Kill Bill too, where she's describing Bill, and, and have you seen that movie? And, and she goes, like most, like most boys who, who have like a, a tumultuous relationship with their father, they collect father figures later on in life. Even even as an adult, you collect father figures later in life. Yeah, and it I think that's very true. Um, because like, I don't have a singular father father figure. He never did. My dad was a good dad. He did what he could, mm-hmm. and I know that. And it doesn't make him a bad dad. There are other things that made him a not so good dad. But for the most part, he was a good dad. He just didn't really give me anything to follow. He didn't give me anything to look up to, other than. Work your fingers to the fucking bone and provide for your family. And I didn't want that. I, 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 didn't, I didn't want that. I didn't want to fucking kill myself working. I didn't want to come home every day and hate my fucking job. I didn't want that. So, like, I met Mike. And when I met Mike, like, Mike had his own business. He was going to open his own gym. He made the money of a doctor with the schedule of a fucking part-time student. You know? And uh, he is, like, one of the most, like, honest, passionate... He's one of those people who, like, has so much passion for this sport, you almost get lost in what he says about it. Um, it's, one of those, it's one of those relationships where we have helped each other helped each other grow, like, so exponentially that it's just this unbreakable bond. And, like, this is my true father figure, Mike Baxter. He's, like, my brother. He's my dad. He's my best friend, my training partner. And, like business partner pretty much all rolled into one it's a really cool relationship we have um east race muscle again dude south bend indiana if you're ever there for any reason east race muscle is the only place to train there man mm-hmm. it's the only place to train in northern indiana southern michigan for fuck's sake yeah. uh, but down here in central indiana we got indy city barbell best fucking gym in the country right? <laughs> that's because i own it ah, so, so you have your own gym out on your own two feet, and this is all through weight. Like, who would have thought as when you were like 15, 16, coming off no, heroin? I, I would have never thought that I could live a life as somebody whose entire social life, work life, 
personal life has all revolved around a gym in some way. The whole time. Picking up stuff. I met my fiance at the gym. We like have this shared love of powerlifting and we travel 30 weekends a year to meets. We go to 30, 30, 30, 25, 30 meets a year just to watch. That's not even counting the ones we competed. Whoa. Yeah, you are all in, my man. So how- yeah, this is my this is my NFL, and it sounds stupid because it's like this weird like pseudo sport still, and people don't take it seriously because like the only part of powerlifting that's an Olympic sport is bench press and the Paralympics. So there's always a weird like innuendo made there, and then um, you know it's illegitimate because of you know people like fucking uh, Matt Mitchell and uh, people who want to take these records and like squat high and fuck deadlifts and whatever all, all for a, a number that isn't going to be cared about in 10 years anyway like the legacy you leave in powerlifting 10% of it involves your numbers you know t- 10% of it involves your numbers people people talk about Eddie Cohn now they don't talk about Eddie Cohn because of how strong he was they talk about Eddie Cohn now because he knows everybody still He's still humble. He is still talking to people. He is still going to meets. He is still sharing knowledge. He is still doing these things. And there are people who, they power it for all the wrong reasons. Not that there is a right reason to do anything. Uh, that's, uh, again, a very opinionated thing. Um, and this is my NFL. Man, I look at open power thing every day. And I, I literally scroll through meets. For like two hours a day, just like scroll through me. It's while I'm sitting there at the gym, work like at the desk, just waiting. Program, you know, already updated my programs, whatever. I'll just scroll through them, power thing. I'll go to YouTube and check out uh, Strength Central, awesome fucking YouTube channel that just puts together these collectives of like training week of, the, of this this week in powerlifting training. I listen to your podcast. I listen to the Brocast podcast. Even though you guys really need to fucking stick to your topics. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I Mark Bell's Power Project that was huge for me years ago. You know, it's kind of taking a different direction now, but still, um, this is like ever since I got involved in powerlifting, it, it I, I've loved the sport. And trust me, I think it's fucking weird too. I like I, I'm in a sport where a it's hard to watch. It's not like MMA or football where it's constant action. Yeah. Like, Every every meet you go to, you secretly nobody wants to admit this, but you secretly hope you see someone get hurt on the platform just so you can see a little bit of excitement. But knock on wood that that's not me. Powerlifting meets are usually fucking boring, even with the hype, and you get drained quick because you have every three minutes there's a giant burst of adrenaline, then it drops every three minutes. That gets fucking old. It needs to be constant, right? So it's a weird sport to love so much, but I also hate team sports. People call it a fake sport, but the irony is they play the fake sports with balls that we made up out of nowhere. At least in this sport, it's something that people have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years. Who can pick up the heaviest rock? Mm. Yeah. I mean, literally, it's, 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 it's the age of man sport next to fighting. Next to fighting. I mean, it's literally fighting strength sports. The problem is strength sports just aren't fucking fun to watch. So our selective pool is much, much smaller. We're exposed to less athletes. We're exposed to less money. We're exposed to less sponsors because we have a considerably smaller pool of people who are interested in the sport that you really can't watch. Mm. 99% of powerlifting fans powerlift. 99% of basketball fans haven't touched a basketball in 35 fucking years. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And, and, and how did you win up finding Sean Noriega? 
I fucking hated Sean for forever. I fucking hated him. Like, from the time I first started powerlifting to, like, literally two years ago, I hated everybody, actually. I didn't like people who were stronger than me. I thought I fucking knew everything. So anybody who would say something I didn't agree with, I hated him for because I was just a cunt that way. Um, basically, I was working with a good coach, but I, I, was, I was given too much freedoms, and I took advantage of it, and it made our coaching-client relationship not work anywhere near as well. And so I was like, okay, I need a new coach. Um, I know everything that's said about every coach ever, and when you hear the same thing about this coach five times from five different people, I'm not going to go to you. I'm not going to go to someone like that. Sean was so, basically, I was going to choose between Sean or um, Sean, Joey Flex, or Jason Manikoff. Those were like the three people who I was really, really, really looking at. I didn't want to go with Joey because I didn't want to be attached to the Flex thing. I don't like. I don't know. It's not that I dislike it. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a fan. Not that I'm, I'm a fan of Joey, by the way. I love Joey. Just the whole flex thing. It's just weird to me. There's nothing wrong with it. Cool brand he's got going. Branding's good. I saw Sean take kids like fucking Blake Barrett, who was a fucking speck of a powerlifter. Not good at anything. Couldn't squat. Couldn't bench. Couldn't deadlift. Skinny. Weak. No aesthetics. Love you, Blake. <laughs> like Blake just pulled like what did he pull his last meet like 628 or 611 at like 160 or 150 or 140 whatever the fuck that weight class is yeah. and like if you, and seeing every one of his athletes constantly constantly every session making technical improvements strength improvements mentality improvements nutritional improvements I mean improvements in every aspect and um that's what I did. I was like, hey, like, Sean's very selective. So it's not like I said, hey, do you want to coach me? I was like, hey, man, like, you know, what are your rates? I want to work with you. And I pay him for the – people ask me all the time, does Sean charge you? Yeah, and I wouldn't let him coach me for free. I, I, my old coach coached me for free. It takes away the feeling of having to follow this protocol when you know you're going to get it no matter what, no matter what you do. And so, yes, I pay him, and I pay him full price. And, um, he's phenomenal. I mean, and that is, there, he's nothing short of phenomenal. And, um, he's very responsive. His programming is intuitive. His movements are hyper-specific and very, very weird. But, I mean, hey, it's working. I like it. Um, and, dude, I'm the most, I'm the most fit I have been since I started powerlifting. A set of six, five, seven, nines are still kind of hard. But, like, they're nothing now. I can squat, bench, and deadlift pretty much. My, dude, after the tribute meet, dude, I didn't even feel like I competed. Yeah, I, like, kind of a sore lower back and kind of sore abs. I was going to go train the next day, but I got way too far up watching John. Yeah. <laughs> no John's my favorite powerlifter of all time. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, so, so what, what did you think about, obviously, you were heavy on uh, – he had surpassed Jesse Norris in terms of performance. Yeah. And do you think John is going to be the greatest of all time? Yes. 100%. For a time. For a period of time. Yeah. There are, uh, somebody else will come along. You know, one day. People ask this same question about Larry two years ago. Look where Larry is now. Tearing off biceps and smacking bitches. And, uh... Not that that's going to happen to John Hack. John Hack is way too good of a person to do any of that. I mean, not that tearing a bicep makes you a bad person. Sorry for the bad context. 
Um, people fall off, people get old, people get tired, people get bored. Um, someone else is going to come along, but for now, in my mind, um, my opinion, the current goat in powerlifting on the men's end is John Hack. Uh, Cody Blazek is the is the the one point one. Like John Hack's number one, Cody Blazek is one point one. I don't think Norris should even be really considered anymore. I just don't. Maybe in the all-time, ever, but comparing generational powerlifters also isn't fair either. And then comparing, Jesse's best thing he ever did was that um, that 2015 at like 203. Yeah. Uh, that was a beautiful total. But, I mean, that doesn't compare to the, the 2K at 181 with or without a fucking weight cut. And actually, I'm pretty sure Jesse did do a weight cut for the SPF meet where he totaled 2033. And like I said in that post, man, he wouldn't have gotten a red light for anything in that meet. <laughs> Nothing. Nobody does. And that's okay. Most of the people who compete in that meet, they compete to the standard. Yeah, there's always going to be people who don't. Um, I, I've watched that meet, and for the most part, everybody kind of does what they're supposed to do. But um, that being said, too, John had real circumstances to combat. Whereas they pretty much set up record breakers for Jesse to break that total world record. There was no, um, there was no parameters on timing. There was no parameters on like all the little shit you have to worry about as a power lifter. Um, like for example, like in the IPF, like your thumbs can't be off the bar. Yeah. That's why fucking Chance Mitchell's going to bomb out his next meet. And, um, I, I, don't, I don't think there should be a question. People are like, oh, well, John Hack is on gear. John Hack openly admitted to using SARMs. I don't know what the fuck. Like, why, well, you're saying shit that we already know. Oh, but Jesse was drug-free. Okay, I don't think Jesse was on shit, but I don't necessarily think he was drug-free either. Not that I'm questioning Jesse's being natty. And yeah, he got popped for like a stimulant. But, like, I just decided to take all those factors out of the window because it's too much of a gray area. We don't compare tested and non-tested people for a reason. That's why we have those categories. When Jesse did the SPF meet, he didn't get fucking tested. That is what matters. Compare it the same way we compare it to, Sean, to, to, to John's. 2K at 181 under real meat circumstances at the single most elite money meet in the country right now. Literally, the podium at that meet on the on on the on the rack day. Six ten Wilks, six oh one Wilks, five eighty nine Wilks. I got twenty seventh place that day. I Wilks five forty. Mm, yeah, that's high. That that's that's some tough competition. Do you think it surpasses? Like, what do you think about the U.S. Open in terms of like, is it falling off or? It's falling off. I think Gracie is the shit for trying to put together this event every year. It's awesome. I love what she's doing. She just keeps running into fucking roadblocks at every turn. And there's always going to be, like, rumor mills going, like, oh, it's because she does everything cheap. Oh, it's because she uh, de uh, delegates all of her work to other people. Now, I don't know how true any of that is. What I do know is every single year there has been a huge debacle at the U.S. Open. Is that right? Every year. Um, 
2018 U.S. Open, the U.S. Open I competed in, we had the IPL judges throwing reds for no reason, all the time. I got red for a call that didn't even exist at the time. It wasn't even the rule book yet. It wasn't even officially written in. It was the uneven lockout rule. And, and my lockout wasn't even fucking uneven. <laughs> I, about that one. I would have benched my first 402. I was the youngest competitor on that stage. I was 20 years old when I competed in the 2018 U.S. Open. And I felt fucking really good about it. You think I didn't? I went in and known I was going to fucking lose. In the past five meets I've done, I, I literally... Tribute, Kern U.S. Open, Iron Dog, which was a massive money meet in Ohio, and two international events in Ohio. I'm gonna, my next meet, I'm gonna do a fucking local meet. I'm gonna relax, dude. Like, every, like, I'm just gonna relax, but, yeah. So, so, so what, what was the other, cause I'm not as up, I didn't show up any of the U.S. Opens, um, I, but I know that the money's going down a little bit as well. But a little bit, yeah, a little by, bit. By a lot, yeah. That's 2018 generous. U.S. Open, 2018 U.S. Open, the payouts were 40 grand, 10 grand, 3 grand for overall men and women. Yeah, and two in the men's because they split that in two. Yeah they, did, oh yeah, they did lightweight and heavyweight. I forgot about that. You were right. Yeah, you're right. right. And they paid 1000 500 and 250 per weight class. One, two, and three. Yeah. That was 2018. Yeah. This year, it was like 17,000, 6,000, and like 3,000 with no weight class. Oh, wait, there was weight class payments, but I don't actually know what they were. And they were never actually disclosed. I just saw them giving them envelopes on the platform. Next year, 10,000 bucks for a 1,000-pound deadlift. Fucking kidding me? Yeah. What are you doing? And I get it, dude. It's probably really, really, really hard to put that fucking money together. I will never know that struggle of getting sponsors together or getting one singular donor to put up this elusive amount of money, you know? Um, but the concept is amazing. The concept is there. It just needs to come together a little bit better. I think the U.S. Open next year, I don't think it. I don't think it's going to attract... The names it has attracted in the past. Mm -hmm. I think just making it a monolith meet alone. Like uh, people ask me all the time, like monolith or monolith or walkout. I think powerlifting as a whole, we shouldn't have to walk out. But until that's the fucking standard, I'm gonna stand up in a combo rack and I'm gonna take my steps back. That's not the fucking standard. That's all there is to it. Monoliths are safer. They're easier. They're better. They're a little bit harder for viewing. But there's a very quick way around that. Dan Green, boss of bosses, does a great job with that. He uses an inverted mono where the the hooks are on the outside so there's nothing in front of the lifter. Um, so there's ways around that. And um, people like Ghost, Ghost Strength Equipment, Ghost Strong, they're bringing in new equipment for the U.S. Open. They're a huge sponsor. I think that's going to help a lot. Um, Gracie's constantly on top of the open. There's no like laziness involved, so that's really helpful. I do think that going the monolift route wasn't the best choice. Yeah, we're gonna get like the monolift international lifters, but like, where, where where does that mean we're gonna put the standard of that meet? Yeah, because uh, we we didn't drop the podcast yet. We'll, we will. Brendan Allen, any any Wang, we're talking about it from Brocast, and um, they were saying like they're they're very big on walking it out. And um, they're going to walk it out if it's a monolift. They'll walk it out regardless. I'm 
going to be that, same thing, I'm going to walk it out regardless until standing up, squatting, and racking it is the standard, I'm going to walk it out. I think monoliths would be better, safer, not walking out would be better, safer. We're already squatting the weight, why do we have to walk with it? Unfortunately, that's just the standard. Just like in basketball, the free throw line's in the same fucking spot every game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and that's the standard, and that's all there is to it. That's it's, I'm gonna walk out because there is uh, because there is so many divisions. I know what you mean. Where there's raw, raw with wraps, mono, equipped. Uh, there's so much that, like, that that's another reason, man. I'm just I'm gonna spend the next couple years pretty much in the sleeves only. I want to get to the the highest stand like highest standard. The most consistent standard that we see the most com- people com- people competing in, and that is the sleeve division. And now we're seeing sleeve numbers where we're proving that you don't have to put on wraps to put up a huge total anymore. John Hack. Yeah, no, so, yeah. All I gotta fucking say. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah he's a one out. He's a one off case. He's a fucking outlier. He's a freak. But still, it can be done, and it has been done, and. Um, We've had moments in time, weird little blips in reality where um, the sleeve total in this weight class is higher than the rack total in this weight class. It's happened. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing that. I mean, fuck, dude, we're seeing the 83s in the IPF do fucking 10 times body weight totals. Yeah. Drug tested in sleeves to the strictest standards in the game. Yeah. Like, we're seeing that now. We're, we're going to see fucking pretty much three people do it. Um, come Raw Nationals and Brett Gibbs next meet, man. Yeah. Brett Gibbs is going to do 830. Sean's going to do 830. Ross is probably going to do fucking 850. You know? And, um, dude, it's just like people have attached such a limit that they now attach all these other things to what they need to do to get strong. What do you need to do to get strong? What's the fucking secret? Well, consistency, intuitive work, and just not being a dumbass. Now there's another X factor uh, for us non-tested boys. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking but, about. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking part of it, too. People get fucking juiced up, okay? Who cares? Stick to tested, non-tested. Don't try to compare the two. That's it. And if someone in non- and someone who's tested, if they're better than you, they're better than you. And that's it. And Russ and Sean and, and Brett Gibbs... They're pretty much better than any other 181 outside of, like, literally John Hack and Cody Bozek. Chad Penson probably won't make another 181 meet. Um, do you guys know Chad Penson? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's made some fucking wild claims. Like, uh, he said he was looking to do 2100 at 198 at the Tribute. Love you, Chad. You're a cool dude. That was a psychotic statement. Um... People want to talk numbers before they've even understood how their meat prep has gone. People want to talk numbers as if they can predict the future. Yeah, it's so odd. Well, here sometimes too, you hit a squat in the gym, you hit a dead in the gym, bench in the gym, different days. So you're refreshed. You just hit the bench fresh. You just hit the deadlift fresh. When you go into competition, by the time you deadlift, you maxed on squat, maxed on bench. Now you're going to deadlift. So some people want to add up their gym lifts thinking, this should be my projected... Yeah, Russ did that, and people were like, oh, that's fucking annoying. But I'm like, the difference is Russ did that 1910 gym total all on the same day. Yeah, yeah. 
All in the same fucking day, the squat looked deep, the bench looked paused, the deadlift was clean, and when you, and you know what, there, like Kevin Oak's most recent post, there's something to be said about definitively lifting to a standard that is unquestionable. <laughs> I love it. I don't even fucking do that. I like When I'm in raps, dude, I hit depth 30% of the time. If I'm lucky, I did not hit depth with one squat under 705 my whole prep. Could not wrap. This time around, after my last sleeve meet, putting wraps back on, I had a bitch of a time getting down into the hole. You're going to squat high a whole meat prep, like me, right? You're going to squat high a whole meat prep, and you're going to fully expect to squat a 30-kilo PR on meat day? Uh-uh. No. I went into this meet knowing there was a pretty good chance that something could go wrong, but I could, I could bomb out. Now... I don't ever said this on Instagram. Fortunately, I am one of the people where usually depth is there on meet day. That adrenaline just helps me push those wraps down a little bit harder. Same with my bench. My bench, for some reason, always shows up on meet day. Now, I don't know what the fuck happened in tribute, but my deadlift was nowhere to be found. <laughs> Ironically, that was your big one, too. That's your biggest weapon. I was so upset because I wasn't tired at all. The weight felt like it literally, I, I got it off the floor normal speed, got to here, and it, it, it didn't even slow down. It just stopped. It just stopped. I didn't know what to do about it, man. And then I missed it twice. It was just it was seven seventy one too. I pulled between I pulled between seven fifty and seven seventy one a total of like thirty times, forty times. Yeah, so this is weight that you're used to. It's weight that I'm used to. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's why on the third attempt, I kind of went in with, like, this is going to sound really cornball, really cornball shit that's coming up. I, like, didn't respect the weight anymore. I was like, oh, this is enough. I'll just pick it up. Yeah. I'll just pick it up. Now, I did everything I was supposed to in terms of, you know, technique and all that stuff. But, like, I think there was just a little bit of mentality problem there on the third. But, I mean, I started a pretty decent meet. I had a lot of fun. I got to see the two best totals ever get put up in a weekend. 2,181 wrap, 2,181 sleeved. Uh, literally a, a total that literally 95% of super heavyweights are still trying to pursue. Yeah. Okay. So, um, if not more. I mean, it's probably more than that. Yeah. Um, man, it's just, I, this sport is fucking cool. And, like, the cool thing about, like, individual sports is, like, there is more individuals there are more individual people to pick up on. Or when you're in team sports, somebody has to always outshine everybody else. The cool thing with this sport is people are going to, like, the next big thing is already right around the corner. Yeah. I mean, your page is a great example of that. Like, you posted John Hacks 2K, immediately following, there was another impressive thing to post. Yeah. And that's how this goes. People who are only worried about being in that limelight... They're never going to get it. And when they do, they're going to fall off faster than they fucking got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually how it goes. They usually get into that limelight like that, and they fall out like that. Mm-hmm. Like, even Larry staying in that limelight for like the four years he has been is wild. And I'm surprised that this is like the first big controversy he's had, especially since he's becoming like a fucking Instagram fucking cocksuck model. Like, not, not that I care if he... I didn't mean that in, like, a way of, like, homoerotica. I meant it in a way of, like, he sucks dick. Like, he sucks Instagram's dick. Like, he's only an Instagram star. 
and that's all he wants to be. Now, I don't know him personally. I don't know if he maybe has true attainable goals, you know? But just from what he presents on IG, I'm not going to buy your template, and I definitely don't want your PR merch, and I feel bad for all the fanboys that do want it. Do you think he'll come back to powerlifting? No. You think he's done, eh? I think he's done powerlifting. I think if he comes back... I'm not going to say no, I guess. Because there's obviously a chance he'll come back. They're always going to be. But I think that's a matter of if he's going to be alive. You think he might die? Yeah, dude. Larry's even talked about this, dude. I mean, like... He started using steroids when he was really, really young. He's used a lot of compounds at once with high doses for years. And people forget, dude, he's only like 24 now. Like, just like me, man, you start using steroids at a young age, you induce or you increase that risk tenfold of an early departure from this place we call Earth. And um, that's a risk, man. That's a risk that he knows. And I don't, maybe now he's... Like, I got smart a lot faster, <laughs> by the way. Um, I, did, I did do some, like, dumb cycles, some big stuff. Um, gear is gear, but now my doses are considered, like, exponentially smaller. Um, and, because, dude, I, I, I was kind of, pre- like, pressured into, like, getting on gear. I had an injury, and um, through that injury, I couldn't squat, I couldn't deadlift. I, um, like, obviously couldn't gain weight anymore, and, um, someone was just like, hey, you should do this, it'll help, I was like, no, like, you should do this, it'll help, I was like, I'll do it someday, like, I already know I'm going to, you should do this, it'll help, okay, like, and I did, and it was done, it was fucking stupid, and I fucked up my hormones for forever, I did, I did, I literally pretty much for the rest of my life have to be on some sort of artificial hormone supplementation, I do. Is that, see, I, see, I don't know all, like, so if you start, you basically, you can't stop? No, I mean, you can stop, and there's ways to stop. The problem is that's just not how your endocrine system works. You can't just start taking a bunch of pills and adding stuff in, it's just going to work back to normal. Yeah. You start adding artificial hormones of any kind, and your natural hormonal production system is going to slow down, and in cases like mine, where it involves, like, doses of testosterone and other uh, androgenic compounds... Um, it's going to pretty much completely shut down your test production uh, along with things like FSH, LH, and all these other like sexual reproductive hormones. And so, no, there's ways to get off, but like, if I got off, all that would happen is I'd go to a doctor and they would then give me the same thing. And, they, and, and you would... And you would like, um, like Larry or any of these guys couldn't stop now because they would just completely shut down. They would have minimum. Pretty much all of these guys, all of all of the non-tested guys, I guess I just say us, we're going to be on minimum on HRT, TRT, hormone replacement, testosterone replacement. We're going to be on test our whole life. Now, we don't have to be on the compounds like D-ball, Amandrol, Trembolone, uh, Nandrolone, Boldenone. We don't have to be on those things the rest of our life. But testosterone, pretty much, yeah. yeah. If we want to put our dick inside of things, and if we want to have a normal functioning sleep schedule, and we want to feel like men, yeah, definitely. And that's a whole other fucking can of worms when you talk about uh, women on drugs. Um, that's their choice entirely, but like what drugs do to women is exponentially worse than what it does to men. What does it do and, to women? Uh, what? What does it do to women? Uh, I mean, that is a complete alteration of their of their actual like hormonal chemistry. It, it complete like. Whereas with us, we're adding 
when we add testosterone, we're adding a compound that we already have. We're adding a hormone that we already have a lot of in our body. Um, so your body it, knows how to deal with it, basically. Better, huh? anyways. So your so your body knows how to work with testosterone because it has. Yeah. So For, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a lot, but it, 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 it processes it easier. And it also has like a, a, um, a lesser, we have a lesser reaction than women do. Um, one, women's androgen receptors typically work better. Um, that's like, I mean, I've read that in multiple studies that I can't quote right now. Sorry, I guess I technically can't say that as fact. It's something I've seen in studies. They technically work better. They're smaller, so things work faster. Um, and there's this... There's like a whole group of people who are like, oh, I take this much test, I'll just give my girlfriend half of that. And they don't even realize like, a normal cruising dose, a normal, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like hormone replacement dose, right? A normal uh, ther therapeutic dose of testosterone is anywhere between like 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams a week. You put a woman on 50, She's going to turn into a dude in, in no time. Holy shit. Like, viralization will take over like that. And uh, that's just how it fucking works. And, um, and there's ways that women can use PED safely. Not that any PED is safe, just more safe than what most people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not going to tell anyone how to do that. But, like, there's, there's research that can be done. People are just too fucking lazy oh my buddy's big he said take this yeah lazy what? or ignorant lazy or ignorant and that's why i'm glad you're saying this because some people don't look before they leap they'll start doing some shit not I, they're signing up for i i thought i knew so much i thought i knew so much when i started nobody tells you about like losing sleep nobody tells you about like the sweats. No one tells you about like the direct alteration it has on 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 like um how you just deal with situations, dude. It literally alters your entire brain chemistry. Your endocrine system is the central place that creates your entire personality. How those chemicals work are what make you you. You start adding to that or taking away from that, you are taking a huge chance no matter what the fuck you think you know about yourself. Yeah. Your conscious mind is not smart enough for your endocrine system. It just isn't. And that's kind of a stupid way to put it and a very bare bones way of putting it. But like, that's what it boils down to. You can't just consciously think, oh, I won't get side effects. What's a drug I can take that won't give me side effects? Yeah. None. None. Zero. Because, sure, you may not get gyno, you may not get acne, your dick may still work the whole time, and you may not lose your hair. All right? Those, those, none of those things might happen to you. They might not happen. Who knows what your genetic predisposition is? But can you see inside of your body? It's the huge thing people never consider. And they also ignore all of the clear warning signs that your body gives you when things are going wrong. Easiest ways to tell that your body is functioning right is, the, is what's coming out of your body. If your blood pressure is high, something is wrong. Mm. I'm like, oh, I 
have high blood pressure, man. Yeah, something's wrong. Like, that's, that's what that is. That's a symptomatic response, you idiot. Um, dude, organ failure. Like, like kidneys, livers, um, gallbladders. All directly, of all your processing systems, directly affected by steroids. It has to be filtered through something. It has to. Um, dude, orals. What they can do to your stomach. What, what the acidic response in your stomach acid can do to your throat with orals. People never consider these things because they've never tried to look. Because, But the other part of it is nobody wants to talk about it. And talking about it in depth, it's still taboo. It's going to be taboo for a long time. And like this is like the most in-depth we can get because we can't say things like, this is... For context only, by the way, um, I'm taking this much of this, this much of that, this much of that. Here's what I feel. There's nobody doing detailed logs of how they're feeling daily. There's no one checking their liver lipids, their red blood cell count, uh, you know, heart and kidney functionality. Nobody's checking that shit. They're all acting like they are. Oh, you got to do preventative care, bro. You got to get blood tests. Dude, you've never done that. Most people who I hear spew that shit. Never do it. They've never done any of it. PEDs are weird, and they make people fucking weird. They alter your entire brain chemistry. The more you do, the more altering you're doing. Less is more. That is my fucking help for every, anybody who's going to listen to this who's even contemplating doing PEDs. I'm going to say this. As someone who is involved with, with PEDs in some capacity... Don't do them. They change you entirely. And you pretty Dude, I don't care what you hear about PCT, boys and girls out there. Post-cycle therapies. They don't work like you think they work. I don't know what your bodybuilder friend at the gym told you, but PEDs are not just a... They cannot be an on-the-fly decision. Don't do what I did. It's dumb. It's fucking stupid. It's irresponsible. You know what? That's a hell of a fucking speech you gave and I'm glad because you're right people don't talk about it as much they don't know and uh, they don't know any better and it's good if if you on the other side know like look at I've seen this directly um, you obviously you know you've seen it with like other people yourself you've done research you looked into it and you could say here's some shit that nobody told me I'm gonna tell you you know and I wish someone told me and even then take what I have to fucking say with a grain of salt you fucking do your own research. Yeah. Do your own research. Could, look, you can find someone somewhere, some endocrinologist, who can help you in some way. You might have to fucking look. It might fucking take you a while. But somebody's published something or is willing to talk about something. Now, if someone is advertising help with your PEDs, red flag. <laughs> but, yeah. Wow. Yeah, don't talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, well, look, we've had you for, for like an hour 15. I always ask people the same question uh, when I have them on the podcast. I want to ask you, you're only 23. Let's 22. say 22. Whoa, don't let me age you. You're only 22. Yeah, I already look fucking 35, so please <laughs> keep my ears back. But uh, when all is said and done, and you're 65 years old, looking back on the game, how do you want to be remembered in powerlifting? If there was only 
like one, if there was only one dying quality to my legacy in powerlifting, if there's only one thing, whether that's the best or whatever, I want to be the guy that was never afraid to tell people how it is. I think you just proved that, my friend. I think that that's all. That's all I want. People get so emotional about squat depth and and, and 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 a million other things, but that's just the most relevant topic. People won't tell their friends that they squatted high. People won't tell their friends that they're hey man, your knee's not really gonna, like looking good for you. Your whole prep, you've been overshooting the whole prep. You're really heavy. I'll always tell people how it is. I've always caught shit for being a brash and abrasive person. It's how my brain works. I don't have that type of filter to make people feel good. I have a type of filter to tell people how the fuck things are. That's how it was for me. I was never handed anything on a golden platter. I was never fed with a silver spoon. That didn't happen for me. And so I'm not going to do it for anybody fucking else. I mean, except my fiance. She's the most spoiled person on the planet. But <laughs> The way it should be. Um, yeah. Who, who do you want to thank, and how can people reach you if they want to, A, follow your training, and B, if they want coaching or anything like that? Yeah, um, who do I want to thank? Obviously, like, all my sponsors are dope. Slingshot, uh, Jack North, awesome clothes, shirts are kind of gay, but the, sorry, am I not allowed to say that? I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, it's just, they're, they're, not, they're not stylish. Jesus. Because gay uh, stylish. Um, hey, gays are st- very stylish, my man. Right. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you say they're stylish. Yeah. Uh, Indy City Barbell, uh, my business partner, Steve Gentilly, is like one of my best friends. Um, he's given me the opportunity of a lifetime with this gym. Uh, East Rice Muscle. Um, and uh, just if you want to reach me, Instagram is usually the best way to do it. In terms of coaching, uh, like right now, I'm only I'm packed. I'm only taking six, nine, and 12-month paid and full commitments um, I have 60 clients in oh, in 12 countries, um, all over the all over the all over the globe. I am in contact with them every single day. Video review is done every day. Programs are updated every week. I take my coaching very very serious. It is not a side job anymore. It's my full time job. And if you want to reach out about that, um, there's an email button on my Instagram page, but you can email coachnofear at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's how you can reach me. That's how you can get a hold of me. Uh, please don't send me videos on Instagram asking me to do form check. I will fucking ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> you get mobbed just for people with free advice type deal. Yeah. Um, as of the rest of, I don't know when this is going to get posted. As for the rest of like August, um, the second to last weekend of August, I'll be in Detroit at the Motor City Madness USPA meet. Um, the last weekend of August, I'll be at Boss of Bosses uh, handling Joe Sullivan, um, and um, I will be at Reebok Record Breakers at the end of the year. I'll probably also be at the IPL Midwest Open in Ohio. I will be at Raw Nationals in October. Um, I'll be at Iron Dog in Cleveland in October, USPA. Um, you kind of see me a little bit of everywhere. Um, so if you like me in any capacity, don't feel like odd to like awkward. Don't be awkward. Like come up to me, talk to me. It's still weird for me too. So just like make it not weird for both of us. 
Yeah, man. I love this sport. I love like the people who support me. Because um, there's a lot of people who don't like what I have to say and don't care to hear it. And I'm okay with that. There's a lot of fucking people I don't want to hear a fucking word out of their mouth either. Um, and I kind of I'll always do this. I'll always say what I want to say and do what I want to do as long as it's within my moral parameters. And unfortunately, those are kind of low. Uh, so, yeah, thank you guys for having me on here. This was very, very, very enjoyable. We 100% have to have you back. No, okay. Tyson, if, if, if you're game, we're game. We have to have you back. Uh, I'm game. Yeah. And, and actually, I want to ask you, what do you think is going to go down on Tribute? Because you are, sorry, not Tribute, sorry, Boss of Bosses. Um, we obviously got <laughs> Steffi Cohen. Uh, we got Steffi Cohen. We got um, Julius Maddox chasing that world record. He hit 730 in the gym. He wants Kirill's bench record. Uh, I mean, we got some big guns at Boss of Bosses. What are you expecting? Any, anything we should watch out for? Um, I love Julius. Julius is a great dude. We met multiple times. Uh, TD is like one of my closest friends. Yeah, he's amazing. So we also have very close mutual friends. I don't think he's going to hit Kirill's bench record. I don't think he is consistent enough nor technically sound enough to hit that quite yet. Ju- I mean, he, there's, he still could. Yeah. But um, we've seen Julius in past meets just after the first attempt. He's just gassed. And um, I don't really see him going for that 738 is the record. Um, he could take 739. Um, he pretty much had to do it on an opener, in my opinion. Um, again, strong human. He's going to break that record someday. Just not sure if he's doing it at Boss of Bosses. Not a hater. Um, Stephanie Cohen, I mean, we're going to see another show. I mean, we're going to see another fucking show. That's all it is. I mean, she is... Uh, she's my favorite female powerlifter to watch. Um, she is a freak. She has a lot of respect for the barbell, which is like something you don't see in a lot of athletes. Um, the rest of Bossa Bosses, I think we are going to see some single lift all-time world records be broken, uh, mainly squat and deadlift. Um, I think... I believe Yuri is still doing it, and I'm really hoping he can bounce back from that. The only poor performance he's ever had. Yeah. Ever. Uh, that can be really tough to deal with when you're constantly cruising at best in the world, and then you get fourth at a meet that you were picked to easily win. Mm-hmm. Uh, not easily, because Cody, him and Cody would have been neck and neck, actually. Um. I'm really excited. Bob was always my dream meet. Boss of Bosses was my dream meet for years. Uh, it just didn't work out in the past two years. Two, um, this year I did the tribute because uh, Dan sent me an invite. He just sent it really late. And I had already signed up for the tribute. And it was yeah. whatever. Uh, I was going to do it last year too, but I ended up having to handle Bridgeford at the tribute. And I like handling people more than I like competing. I just like being at meets. Yeah, I just like being at meets and like having a good time. Competing is fucking anxiety-inducing. Yeah. Like, I always have like a panic attack like within the first like, two weeks before the meet because it's just so like, fucking is, stressful. Is, is, oh, yeah. is that just like performance anxiety because you want to live up? You want to? You don't want to let people down? I don't want to let myself down. Like I'm more worried about being a disappointment to myself. Yeah. Um, I don't really care. Like I don't. I lo- like I love the people who support me. Like I said, but I don't really care about what they have to, what they think about my lifting. Um, I care about my lifting, and um, 
I don't want to let myself down. I have expectations. Like, bare minimum, like, I should have hit 1,900 this meet, and I totaled 1,856. So really fucking upset about that. Um, all on fucking up my deadlift, too, of all things. Yeah. Um, yeah. In handling people, obviously, uh, so do you ever feel anxiety, though, for them? Because, like, because you don't have no. control. No. No. Really? Yeah, when it comes to handling people, man, I, like, that, if I die with any legacy in powerlifting, it is most likely going to be, like, best handler, best knee wrapper on the planet. I'm good at calling numbers. I'm good at keeping my athletes and whoever I'm handling relaxed. I, like, wrapping knees, like, I do it to a T. My athletes are standing up right as platform ready gets called every single time. I've never failed. I've actually even thought about writing, like, an ebook, like, like uh, the powerlifter's guide to handling a powerlifter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think more people should have it. Just understand. I mean, I've really handled people at over sixty meets. Yeah. I mean, over if I logged it, it'd probably be closer to like eighty. And um, I mean, like literally, like this this year alone, I've handled. Oh God. This year alone, I've handled probably fifty different people at meets. I'll go into a meet and handle six people, no problem. Same flight, no problem. Uh, uh, Reebok record breakers last year, dude. I handled Chris Bridgeford and Steve Gentilly in the same flight, both getting their knees wrapped, no problem. Calling their numbers, no problem. Lifting them off on bench, no problem. That's what we do. It's my favorite thing to do. It's a grind, my friend. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. We're going to have you back. we got to uh, keep in touch, man. We're going to be reposting. Anybody listening, fuck. You got uh, you got some big training numbers. You got a hell of a personality, outspoken. You're definitely not dull. You're not dull, my man. So keep in touch. Um, good luck with training, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk later. All right, man. I'll see you see soon. You. Thank you. See you soon. Let's see if it's the day you have it. Um, Garrett Fear, and uh, I gotta stand up a second here. Um, yeah, man, it was a hell of a. He's damn. I, I did not know his background was. Oh yeah. Quite so, like, 18 kids from heroin addict to, uh, as, as an early teenager to bouncing back from that to his dad working with, like, and, and knowing Bill Gates and, like, um, I mean, that was a phenomenal story, too. Then, obviously, his views of the game, you know, um, very outspoken. I mean, that was an engaging interview. I'm glad we had him. It took about an hour to get him because of our, our IT <laughs> issues for a second there. For a second there, it almost yeah. was like, shit, we might have to reschedule. We might have to because it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Dude, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we didn't miss that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that yeah. would have been a damn shame if that young man didn't come on here. But um, tons of energy. And even his, uh, when he's talking about PEDs, yeah. he goes, look, I'll tell you straight now, don't do it. Yeah. Like, he yeah. was saying, like, he, he takes PEDs. He's in the yeah. untested division. And, um, and he says, and you know what, Brennan Allen, actually, same thing. He's like, I, he's been on, he's also in the untested division, takes PEDs. And he said, don't do them. Yeah. Don't do them. And, oh, yeah. and what, when they say like, you'll, you can never go back. Yeah. It's a choice. You can never go back, man. This is not a small choice to make. And this is coming from people that are, have actually been there and done them. Like, well, that's the thing. Like... He's, he's saying like, um, you know, a lot of people aren't looking before they leap. They don't know. They yeah. don't. They just don't understand the commitment yeah. you're making that uh, doesn't rear back. And I guess with women, um, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I don't know all the science behind them, uh, but but he was saying how yeah, it's because it's it's a foreign yeah. hormone. Where with men and even men, he was saying you shouldn't do them, but it's not a foreign oh, yeah. hormone. It's a hormone that we have. Whereas with women, like they do have some natural testosterone, but the levels would be. 
you know, I mean, and not, I mean, there's more than just testosterone out there. Like he was, he was talking about, but, um, it could be a lot more harsh, a lot worse effects, very like a lot smaller amounts hit them a lot harder. And it's, it's, it's a science that some people are not approaching like a science. And even then when you have it approaching it, like a science, there's repercussions. Yeah. Well, yeah. For any drug, like he was saying, like, it's any drug, yeah. anything you're putting in your body, you better yeah. think about. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it really makes you yeah. eye-opening. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm in. I, I've never used anything like that, um, and, and I'm in the tested IPF, etc. So it's just not something that I'm really on my mind. Yeah. I'm not really oh, thinking yeah. about, anyways. Yeah. But um, and, and you're aware some people, like you know, obviously there's the untested, and you're aware people do it, but you don't know what what goes what's what's the story. Like 20 years oh, yeah. down the road. When we, like a boxer, 20 years down the road, when you meet him again, you don't know what they're dealing with later in life. And, and yeah. life changes because they made certain decisions when they were young. Yeah. And, um, and the story is not out there for these people, too. Like, you're not as exposed. You don't see this kind of stuff on Instagram. Yeah. You see them lifting the weights and you don't see, like he said, the sleep issues. and Yeah, all the other issues. And, and internally, when he's talking about organs and stuff like what does your internal organs. And then, um, because sport's relatively young in terms of like, like Instagram, etc., we haven't seen too many of these guys who are 65. How are they holding up now? Okay. How's yeah. the body having done that, whatever they've done for however many years? And could they ever, uh, will they ever go back? Were they for, like he was saying, you know, it's just eye-opening because <laughs> we don't know. I didn't yeah. know. Like I, I'm, I'm fairly ignorant with that stuff because, you know, it's just not in my world. That I, but <laughs> I, I know there's another world out there and it's just, I'm not as involved in there. So I, yeah. I hear when, when guys like Garrett come on here, very frank, open, honest, and say, listen to me, guys. Yeah. You know, anybody listening to this, yeah. you're a young guy and you, you even see me lifting. This is like Garrett could be like, look, if you follow me, you see me and you think he's the untested. You want to follow my footsteps. Listen yeah. to me. Don't do that. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. like that's very honest. Yeah. That's very yeah. frank. That's very uh, like, yeah. like uh, I like the fact that he's like, you know, he, oh, yeah. he's not afraid to speak his mind. No. Tell the story. for And say, yeah. like, look, I've made mistakes, man. Yeah. And some some things I've some choices I've made I can't undo. Um, before you make that choice, you better think about that long and hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's I think it surprises people when gentlemen like Garrett come on here and start talking like that. And then, and then um, I know some women who have done PEDs, not personally, but on other social media platforms, have talked about it, saying how ex- the exact same, only a little harsher, and they'll never be the same in, in certain areas. It's starting to get out there now. Especially it is now. The- the popularity of the sport and that's been around for a while and it's well i mean peds like it is every sport but i I think um i think others because powerlifting has untested these athletes can talk about it because they're not cheating they're not breaking the rules and they're untested so they could talk about it whereas other sports there's peds in every sport but baseball especially almost (laughs) robbie what kind of scandalous accusation is that unfounded but uh the guys that have been busted yeah 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 (laughs) But um, in terms of these other sports, they don't have an untested. Like, you know, there's very few sports. Here's the Olympics. Here's the untested Olympics. You know what I mean? Where, like, that'd be wild. Well, a lot of people would say we, you know, anyways. But the point is, so because of that, these athletes can't come out and talk about the shit they're doing, the shit they're going through. And be like, hey, guys, be careful. Don't do this. Because they can't say they're doing it because they're throwing themselves on their bus. Whereas powerlifting, bodybuilding, um, it's... It, the stigma, like there's untested, so you can come out and say it. You're not yeah. cheating. It doesn't. You're going against other guys who are also on whatever gear. So it, yeah. that's where 
I think because power because of that, powerlifters are at the forefront of spreading this knowledge. Yeah. Insane. A lot of times, I haven't had a, a guy on here who does the untested and says like, I think people should do PEDs. Like these <laughs> these dudes yeah. are like, hey, listen, you know, don't you yeah. better think twice. They're just giving the raw truth and they're giving the raw goods, yeah. you know. And I think uh, I think. If, ironically enough, if powerlifting didn't have untested and we were only tested, that knowledge, people wouldn't get the raw goods because anyone using the gear, and that's the right. scary thing. You, so you might be like, look, at, I know certain athletes use the gear, so I'm going to do it. But these guys can't come out and warn you, so they got to keep quiet. So more people just start doing shit in secret and the information's not shared. And then that's how people jump on it without look, knowing Whereas now we got dudes who are like they could they could say whatever they want because they're not cheating it's it's untested and yeah. they could say here's the raw goods here's here's the truth yeah. on it listen yeah. to me so um, side effects of those big yeah numbers and stuff exactly it, exactly so I think like uh, it is a service man yeah. it is like a big deal for a guy like Gary for you to come on here and and give yeah. that you yeah. know because yeah. I didn't know I mean I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm ignorant to this and like. Um, you know, or, or Brandon Allen come on here and giving the raw goods on those kind of things. I'm sure those big guys too. Like, you know, a lot of people, they want to lift like them. They want to look like them, like well, really muscular. But yeah. yeah and pretty. you don't, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. It. You don't know the cost of that. Yeah, and they'll tell it straight to you themselves. Yeah. You know, uh, and then you got a guy like Russell or he who doesn't use any gear and he's fucking jacked anyways. And that's just the genetic, you know, I, I mean, I said in previous podcasts, early 1900s, there were like wrestlers like a George Hackenschmidt and went out. They, they, they didn't understand like proper nutrition really. Like they had their ideas, but they don't know what we knew, what we know. They didn't. And um, they, the guys are, they see pictures. Uh, I'm not going to be able to spell Hackenschmidt for you. Sorry. But uh, if you, he's a wrestler, but he also did like a bunch of weightlifting and he, um, they didn't have powerlifting back then, but yeah. he would do deadlift squats, bench, and his numbers were recorded. Um, and if you saw him, as ripped and jacked and muscular as any of these fellows walking around today, you would automatically assume on, on gear. Yeah. Automatically assume there's no way some guy is that jacked, that ripped, mm -hmm. and he trains powerlifting and competes in wrestling, which is brutal on the body, and can do that at that level. Has to be on gear. No right. way. If you walked around today, you would assume. So that's when people say, like, how the fuck can a guy like Russell be natty? Because there are people, it, there's 7 billion people walking. He's a one percenter. Sorry, man. It yeah. is what it is. Russell, or he's jacked. I got a huge dick. It, look at that's just genetics. You know what I'm saying? That's just the. That, it, it, you know, it's not my fault. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at Russell. <laughs> it's the luck of the draw. Well, <laughs> Robbie, I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say that. But that, that kind of is what it is, Robbie. So, um, but anyways, I don't want to get. I'm gonna go on for an hour about my dick, and here we go, right? And you, you'd be hot right in there and be, and be in there. We'll, be, we'll, we'll bang out another hour. Pun intended. We'll save that for the next podcast. We got to save that for the next podcast, man. Pace yourself, right? Um, so anyways, hope you liked it. As usual, give us high ratings. Throw this in your, your Instagram stories. I will repost guys like Garrett Fear. Not only is the story phenomenal and people should hear it. Because um, tell me another fucking story like that. That, seriously, that's that's a documentary right there. That's a oh, yeah. that's a that's a that's a movie right there. Okay. Not only that, but even what he was saying about like all of this, people need to hear it. We just said how important it is for people to hear this. Oh, yeah. Do share this, please. You're helping out. Make sure people hear this. You know, okay. share it on all your social medias. 
I will repost it, tell your friends about it, and subscribe because every week we're banging out one or two of these, okay? And at least once I'm going to talk about my day, okay? So I got that out the way quick for this one. Well, not quick because at the tail end. But, you know, I, I might drop it in the middle. I might drop it in the front. You know what I'm saying? the whole thing that way. I might drop it in the end, okay? It, it makes, yeah, it does, I do that so you got to listen for it. You're listening for that. Oh, there it is. Well, there it was. One minute, uh, two hours in, he dropped. Okay, I see you. Yeah. I got you. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, from Six Pack Lapidat. Robbie Little. Until next time, peace.